Hey everybody, welcome to episode 266. Hard to believe we've had this many, it's freaking awesome. And back for the third time, uh, one of our favorite guests on the show, uh, Dr. Robert Faust, uh, one of the people that founded BioAg. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Good. Nice uh, we, to also be here. Have, we also have Fumidor joining us this evening as well. Nice to be here. Cheers, guys. Nice to, uh, nice to talk to Dr. Faust again. Uh, welcome oh, back. yeah. He's a wealth of knowledge, and we love having him on the show. Um, for those of you who don't know, Marty and I also have a, a class over apmjclass.com if you're looking for more long-format aquaponic cannabis information. Um, uh, a quick background on Dr. Faust, if you aren't familiar with him. Um, Dr. Faust is one of the leading people uh, that did a lot of early on research on kelp as well as fulvic and humic acids. Uh, he ha has helped develop a whole slew of different um, uh, products that are used both in organic and non-organic agriculture and um, has really uh, been around in the agricultural scene longer than just about anybody else I know in terms of actually looking at the science of what, what's going on in your soil, making sure that you're doing the right practices and making sure you're not causing a lot of chaos in other parts of your garden at the same time. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. I know uh, we had an amazing time with you the first two times having you on the show and you got a whole bunch of wonderful new things to tell us about. You're working on some new silica products and some other cool stuff and we'd love to hear more about uh, the different science that you've been working on. So thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you. And it looks like I'm in Hawaii in the background, but no, I'm in the foothills of the coastal range near uh, McMinnville, Oregon. So my new new location. And uh, I'll be doing some research here. Some basically involve uh, aquaculture and probably aquaponics. It's, you know, I have the resources. I just don't have the, the, the back and the manpower to do it. But <clears throat> anyway, it's fun. I have a lot of fish. I know that. <laughs> so tell us a little about some of the, the new interesting stuff that you've been up to. You've been working on all kinds of cool stuff lately. We had a chance to hear a little bit about it over on a Fumador show, a couple, uh, I guess a week or two ago. Uh, we'd love to hear about it uh, and what you've been up to. Well, you know, I've been sort of laying back and uh, uh, another guy who's taken over, Vikrant, who uh, is really a go-getter. And he's, he's moving the company ahead big time because he's a deal maker for sure. And <laughs> he's doing a great job getting the word out. Um, you know, it just, uh, the products are great. You know, they perform and people love them. It's just, you know, getting the word and the, the business part of it was, was never my big, big interest, you know. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, it's, it's got to the point where, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I want to be back up in the woods, but I, I'm pretty much doing the research and focusing, you know, new product development and research. But we have, for the first time, you know, complete, almost complete, fairly complete uh, microbiology research lab, along with our humic acid, our humus uh, research lab, where we do the testing. 
but really what it turns out is how were these human gases formed in the first place? Where did some of these compounds that stimulate plant growth activate genetic pathways and provide resistance to plants and animals? Where did that come from? What is that stuff? So, you know, in, just within the last few years, we know that there's 800 different compounds or more. I mean, basic compounds, uh, at least 800 in humic acid. So there's a huge uh, entourage effect uh, of hundreds of different compounds. And, and they're basically produced by microorganisms. I mean, humic acid is the end point of decomposition of organic matter. So, you know, part of the carbon cycle, breakdown of organic matter. And when that starts happening, I mean, what's breaking it down? What's, what's really going on there, you know? So you have a whole litany of microbes that come in sequence. You know, you have the, the thermophilic, the heat loving, ones that starts it, then you have a series of things going on, and then it works up to a set of microbes and fungi that create humic substances. And these are some of the uh, kind of organisms we're, take, we're looking at. Okay, now one, one of those organisms that actually produces humic substances is mycorrhizal fungi. That's just one. Now, a lot of these other microbes produce uh, volatile compounds. Um, and, you know, you get the, the odor and the smell of mushrooms when you're in the forest or, or when you, you, you're around the mushrooms. They have, you know, a real faint kind of, you know, unique aroma, right? Well, I mean, why do they even bother? <laughs> you know, okay, so what we just think is a nice, pleasant aroma. Let's have some maitake and some chanterelles and oh, wow. But what, what's going on in the soil is those compounds that we, we can only perceive as a scent or an odor are, are these volatile organic compounds that are signaling um, compounds or signaling agents that can, uh, for instance, signal a plant to turn on its resistance uh, to insects and diseases, uh, drought. It's, it's a way they communicate, you know, like the plants and the fungal uh, members of the whole community of you know, the soil. It's a huge food web, really. But what that's, that's actually what happens. Like I, like I always say, you can make your own humic acids. Uh, it's just a matter of of uh, how long is that going to take? You know, the humic acids in, in the humates that we use are a minimum of 18,000 years old. And that's in uh, younger deposits. And then some of these humates are four and a half, six million years old. So uh, it's really something that's been decomposed as far as you can decompose something. And that's what you end up with. The minerals that were in it, and the in carbon, carbon compounds. And a lot of those compounds fix these uh, volatile organic compounds that, that the microbes, the fungi produced. And so it's a source 
of all that. But uh, good soil management programs like biodynamic farming or true organic farming, where you're actually using some organic matter, you know, is not organic out of the bag kind of a thing. But in the true sense of organic, you know, you're, you're, you're producing, you know, organic compounds. And it's really microbes. You're managing microbes. You're feeding microbes. And depending on what you feed them is what kind of microbes you're going to get. And those microbes are the ones that cycle organic matter and fix nitrogen from the air and re release, for instance, phosphates or potassium from the rock or the mineral matter in the soil by the action of enzymes, organic acids, the whole thing. I mean, we, we, people couldn't have survived for all the decades that we've survived, you know, a good 100,000 years anyway, maybe a lot longer, uh, if the soil didn't have its own mechanisms. And that's the very reason that civilizations come and go is, is the abuse of, of, of that, of the soil their soil resource that gave them the wealth, made them what they are, you know, and then that all goes away because of increased pressure uh, on the land and depletion. You know, people say, well, they've depleted the minerals. We need more minerals. Let's put some soft rock phosphate out there. <laughs> I love, it. I love it. Let's put some dead mineral back on a dead soil. <clears throat> So there's specific microbes that, that increase phosphate availability and they do it by producing humic substances and or humic substances themselves will release phosphate. So I think you bring up a great business of, I think you bring up yeah, a great point. How long, how long does it take for these humic and vulvic acids to be formed? I think everyone talks about <laughs> so much about how important they are. But I think this is the first time hearing about how long it takes, you know, I, how is there a fast way to do it, a long way to do it, or can fungi do it rapidly? And, and if not, it happens long over time in a soil setting, or, or, or how long do these compounds take to create? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you can do it. Yeah. See, see what happens that you what they sell is compost, and they do a lot of it in Oregon on a big scale. You know, and, and it's a good starting material. You know, they call it compost, but you get it, it's still steaming. You know, the, you know, compost isn't compost until it's got live critters crawling around into it. So it's gone beyond, you know, the heating and the steam and the actinomycetes in there. Uh, and it goes to the point where higher organisms are living in it. That would be things like, you know, the top of that would be the earthworm. And then other soil uh, living critters, I, I call them. Uh, <clears throat> so then it's truly compost. They call that, uh, well, you could call it aging or curing or in, in the lit literature in England, the biodynamic, they call it well-rotted, well-rotted compost. And basically that final stage is where the fungi take over and create the humic substances. So how, how long will that take? Okay, let's say if you're doing that yourself and you have good materials, you're doing a biodynamic approach, uh, you use a starter of, of soluble humic acids, like our uh, full humics. It's like priming the pump. 
because it's fe it feeds the microbes and uh, they just take off. It's definitely feeding, uh, uh, priming the pump and uh, you get a faster composting. So I think from start to finish to a decent, a good, really the good compost, you're talking about two to three years. Uh, you know, it's it's possible to move it, move it along faster. You know, if you have, well, I mean, if you had year-round, you know, warmer conditions than you have here. I mean, but bottom line is stuff will compost year-round. It's still happening in the pile. But, okay, how do, how do natural humates form? Okay, so some of the better natural humates you can find in these mountains and how I started in Montana years ago was peat, with certain kinds of peat mainly the hypnum peat, which is a, is a much higher pH, but it's like um, just about perfect for plant growth. So that, that's very high in humic substance. It's alive. <laughs> you put it under a microscope and it's a jungle. It's like it's, there's protozoa, everything's just running around. It's like ecosystem in itself, right? So that's where these things start as, as peat. You know, organic matter gets deposited and there's water with it. It's from the one of the floods, you know, pushed it into, into low land, low spots. Or in the case of New Mexico, wow, inland sea, you know, huge inland seas. That's quite a story. And then the uplift of the Rockies pushed it. The humate deposits up above the, the continental divide. Yeah, so in New Mexico, you're 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 mining these humates at very so high elevation. These are basically like uh, tree moss humates, or what? Uh, the the ancient humates, like New Mexico humate, is things like cycads, um, cypress, mosses. You know, it's stuff that was around you know five and six million years ago, back in the Cretaceous. You know, so you're talking about ancient. And we know what they are because you can pull these layers apart and you can see the imprint of the leaf. So it's mostly going to be the good stuff is mostly hard hardwood leaves, uh, you know, oak and cypress and, and then these cycads, and <laughs> palms and stuff that's, yeah. And then the some of the peat or the humate or coal, you, you get into the coal, really, more like coal in uh, North Dakota. And that's like... Uh, inland saltwater seas. So it's a sedge, like um, salt grass, salt marsh environment. So not good, not good, <laughs> not the good stuff. You know, the, the good stuff is basically gonna be broadleaf tree leaves and stuff from trees, branches, bark, that sort of thing. So uh, you have to, understand that you can uh, <clears throat> produce, the, the best thing is to use wastes and, and produce humic substances that way. And I'm helping a pretty big company around here do that. Actually, they, we have a huge amount of wood waste in Oregon, especially after the fires, all the, all the wood they've had to like remove and, and they just shred it in big piles. It's like a huge, huge, gigantic resource. I mean, there's like, there's millions of acres of uh, dead trees out here. But so 
ideally, you know, you make your own humic substances locally, because that's not what's happening. It's sort of happening, but you know, uh, that, that's 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 a little ways off. So right now, it's it's about harvesting something, you know, like humate, different types of humate or coal, lignite, uh, stuff like that. Peat. We we use we use it all. We use peat. We use special uh, types of leonardite. You know, and they're all different. So that's why you have to have a lab to to know what you're doing with it. And but I started out years ago just buying. I mean, I mean, really years ago. I mean, like fifty years ago, uh, buying biodynamic compost, and uh, it was incredibly effective. And at the time. I really couldn't believe their their application rates were meaningful. <laughs> you know, you could get results from the rates they were talking. Uh, but I didn't understand the principle behind biodynamics or microbes. No, I went to a, to a U U.S. university uh, ag school. <laughs> what do you expect me to know? I'm not going to know that much. But I learned. Uh, from my Amish and Mennonite neighbors. And yeah, so that was my first taste taste of make, somebody making their own humic acids. And I didn't even know the word humic acids at the time. I didn't know anything, you know, but that's, uh, we're you, back to a proven technology, really. Biodynamics really is in a pure sense. <clears throat> I know you, you really educated me on this the first time I heard you talk at the Regenerative Conference. Um, uh, I think that was the first time I saw you talk in person. Uh, I'd, I'd heard some of your talks previously before that, but after meeting you, it was, it was a whole different experience at uh, uh, understanding your wealth of knowledge, uh, especially uh, on your longer format presentations. But how much more ahead uh, Russia and that part of the world is in terms of humic acids and classifying them and grading them and all this other stuff and fulvic acids? because the, the Western world really is way behind on that. I think uh, it's, it's a really important topic for people to understand um, uh, when it comes to uh, 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 humic and fulvic acids. And uh, uh, welcome, Coop. Uh, uh, thanks for joining us. Second to connect the audio. We always do the yeah. same thing, like, oh, what's going on? And everyone descends. On <laughs> person. Welcome, Coop. Hold on one second. How's that? Yeah, I'm down here. Hey, uh, Dr. Foss, you know this area better than these two uh, gentlemen. I'm down in uh, Florence on vacation, heading down to Brookings to look at property tomorrow. So uh, I know you know this area really well. So it's beautiful down here. Sun's out. I'm oh, going to be uh, 60 tomorrow and, uh, uh, down in uh, Brookings. So the banana oh, belt yeah. rises again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're getting the uh, the pineapple express. The the weather flow is is right out of the right out of Hawaii. That's why we get yeah. this warm weather. Yeah. So um, yeah, the ride down here today from Lincoln City was just uh, stunning. And it's always stunning, but you know it's really nice in the winter when the sun's out. And you get this. You know, we got the kite. Uh, what do you call it? The kite. Uh, Oh, the waves, the kite waves are that force with oh, yeah. the moon and the sun, you know, that whole dynamic. So, yeah, we're supposed to see some pretty dramatic stuff around Cape Blanco tomorrow. So, looking forward to that. Yeah, just... 
I used to fly the coast a lot. You know, was, uh, that's right. You have a plane. I for, I forgot about that. You had a plane. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Vic does too. Yeah, I the first and uh, I knew Vic uh, when he first got here from uh, India, and uh, he was uh, at, through uh, concentrates. You know, Heather and Kale over there concentrates, and they were selling his neem oil and. Karanja oil and neem and neem and karanja oils and meals. So, um, yep, pretty exciting. These two guys don't like neem, but that's okay. I use it. I recommend it. I uh, promote the crap neem. out. Of it. I, I promote the crap out of it. So, oil and meal and to the uh, to the soil as well as the plants. So, I think it's the most effective. Uh, for lack of a better phrase, IPM that you can use, and uh, good. I mean, bottom line, when I was in Hawaii, uh, working, you know, I mean, you have the worst pest and insect and disease problems in the world, right? Yeah, and so that that was one of our most important tools, and it wasn't well, just for uh, it was for nematodes, you know, ne right. real bad nematodes, fruit flies. Um, You're responsible in, in for me. World. I talked yeah. to you many years ago when I first uh, learned about bioag, and it was on the phone. And I said to you, what do you know about neem? And so you were kind enough to tell me about your experiences in Hawaii. So after that, I would tell people, listen, Dr. Foss is using it. So you got to come up with something better than that. One, one uh, person was running around telling people that it was worse than Roundup. That would, uh, oh. He, oh yeah, he's still in the scene. Yeah, he's still part of the scene, yeah. Uh, it, would, it was worse than Roundup, would cause cancer, brain disease. Uh, what else was mm. it? I don't know, you know, this whole litany of, uh, you know, and they're, what they're usually doing is they're looking at those horrible uh, extracts from India that are done with uh, solvents. And so if you put mm. that on your plant, you inhale it and smoke it, yeah, you're probably going to have problems. But that's not well, neem they oil. Use, yeah, they use emulsifying agents and they use, a, uh, you know, petroleum distillates and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, you got to know, like, what you're dealing with. You know? but yeah. yeah. It's not as I, bad as Roundup. I know. If it was, I, they'd sell more of it. Yeah, yeah. If it was as bad as Roundup, they, they right. couldn't sell it, they couldn't make yeah. enough. <laughs> You just you don't uh, want to take the concentrate. That's all. Right. You know, I, I, the what what I use is what Dr. Foss is familiar with. It's uh, virgin pressed. Um, there's no garbage. There's no this. There's no that. And the other thing is that Karanja is a damn legume. It's Neem is a member of the. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but a member of the uh, mahogany family. It's unique in that uh, it fixes nitrogens, which has allowed it to be spread to parts of the world that where the soil was not optimum. But the other tree, the Karanja, which most Indians wouldn't know it if you mention if you say Pongamia, they oh yeah yeah I know Pongamia, okay, and it uh, has uh, fungicide and pesticide properties as well, but it's a legume. So what I use still tell people if you use karanja meal it's like alfalfa meal on steroids so you're getting the benefits of that legume as far as you know all the good goodness that we know from that but you're also picking yeah. up your pesticides and uh fungicide properties 
and nematodes and what have you. So I went to a Karanja uh, uh, orchard down in uh, Florida and they used it to replace some of the tree uh, growths that have been decimated by the orange skin disease or the green skin disease. I, I don't remember. It's a, uh, you know, the one I'm talking about, it's wiped out yeah. thousands, yeah. hundreds green, of thousands green. of trees. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So they, re so they replaced uh, or planted the uh, trees with, uh, or the, uh, the uh, orchards with the uh, Karanja because it, they didn't have to fertilize it. And then they were taking the seeds and pressing the oil for uh, biodiesel. That was uh, had the funding from the federal government, so that was being subsidized. But all they cared about was the oil, so they were almost giving away the meal. I mean, I was like, "Yeah, this is great," but then the word got out because I shut my mouth up, and so that that source of dried up when people started coming with serious money that I didn't have and buying, you know, truckloads of it. So that, that party was yeah. over. Well See, basically, this is what we're talking about. <clears throat> Instead of importing, you know, stuff like that right. from a long ways away, you know, you've got to look to the world's cheapest chemists first. And, and sure. that's what we were talking about. Uh, well, rises fear positive cultures that we're working with. But right. Steve was asking about, uh, you know, how come, as I get the question right, uh, that, that a lot of this research is, is, is coming out of other countries and including Russia and China. Bottom line, just about everywhere. Uh, there's a deluge of research on uh, use of microorganisms and getting more specific, more detailed, more uh, being able to sequence DNA so we know what the hell it is in the first place. We know what we even have. And, and so... In this way, we can produce the compounds that give us the result we want, like resistance to plant diseases and insects. Now, you right. may find them in, in something like Karanj or, or other things, but, but a lot of times we're feeding the microbes right. with it, and it gives them the raw materials to put together volatile organic compounds that signal uh, resistance in the plants. I even use uh, is, neem in. Uh, I even use neem in uh, substrate for uh, some varieties of mushroom uh, because it suppresses the contaminants and enhances the the uh, fungi we're trying to grow, like lion's mane or uh, or whatever culinary okay. slash uh, medicinal mushroom. And trying to explain that to the uh, cannabis world, I'd be better off just to get a, a bell and a, a Christmas time and ring a bell and ask for money because it's just, uh, you, the silliness is to, uh, I can't remember his name, but the German gentleman that spent 35 years studying names, started in 1958 and ran through 1993. Started out as a, a PhD from uh, University of Cologne. It starts with an S. It's called the neem tree. And, and uh, obviously it wasn't a bestseller and it was very expensive, but it's still used today as an upper division classes in India and Pakistan and elsewhere in Asia. Snitzer or, or switch, Switzer or something like that. 
He's got a name with too many consonants in the back name, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's got about 15 oh, letters. Yeah. yeah. But that's a oh, fantastic yeah, book. world. Yeah. It's you got such such problems in the tropical situation, especially if you want to be organic. Yes. Um, that's why I was trying to promote uh, growing neem trees. Matter of fact, I, I took some into Belize and planted them in Belize. And the whole idea was, you know, producing your own pesticides. Right. What I call pesticidal plantations. Right. So every farm should have a certain acreage mm-hmm. of pesticidal plants that they can use for whatever problem they have. Right. And, uh, and it's, it's not just neem, neem's just one. You have uh, what they call China berry or the, right. as a direct, indica right. is, is neem, uh, right. uh, melia as a direct is, mm-hmm. is the tree of heaven. And right. it, has, it looks like the neem, but it grows in farther north. <clears throat> so, so there's a whole range of these things. Uh, but of course, you know, again, I mean, the reason we don't have uh, the real status quo farmers, whether they're cannabis or whatever they are, whether they're grass seed, it doesn't matter because they've been influenced by the industrial model. Sure. So the industrial model of production, uh, you know. And that, is in what's my opinion, that's the, uh, a problem in cannabis that uh, there's this formula that doesn't work that gets repeated year after year after year and gets crazier and crazier and crazier. So the resistance to some of these uh, the russet mites and, and other broad mites. And I mean, we've created some incredibly resistant pests. That's not a very, very good word, but that's in essence what we've done. We created the monster we were trying to destroy. Uh, well, with, I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> that's one way of putting it. But yeah, what I call it is farmers farming mites. Right. Um, you right. Know, right. Because they create conditions. They, they foster the pest. I mean, maybe, you know, unknowingly, you know, and then they spray pesticides which then protect basically the pests from their right. fungal pathogens, et cetera. So I always used to call it farmers, you know, farming pests because <laughs> they're doing everything you need to do to have, you know, pest infestation and make it worse by increasing resistance in the pests. See, where we've been yeah. able to actually, you know, have total, you know, no problem. <laughs> We got to the point now where we know we're using the microbes that that turn on. And of course, humic substances do this. Sure. But, I mean, like I said, that turn on the resistance. And so the people that are using our products, I don't want to see like I'm pushing products, but people that use our products, including me, essentially don't have insect problems or mite problems either. Thank I mean, you. that sounds like a pretty thank you i've been i've been uh, using your products and promoting them oh. for the better part of what 13 14 years uh when i first met uh your former uh, associate uh, ryan and uh, he was kind enough to spend a lot of time with me to explain because i i started pushing people to try to mix their own soils instead of the commercialized 
they're there to make and force you to use uh, their weird versions of uh, fertilizers. You know, if you get if you get Miracle Grow soy, then you want to use Miracle Grow fertilizer, Miracle Grow pesticide. I I try to explain this that if it were legal, they would give you the soil. They would just say, "Here, we'll load it in the car for you." But now you're going to want to get the pesticide, fungicide, and herbicides from because it's you know it's balanced for the soil. Balance for what? Peat, moss, and perlite. I mean, you know what soil is, potting soil. It's, yeah. it's pretty much. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's the industrial marketing model. You know, matter of sure. fact, commercial agricultural suppliers, a lot of times they sell the the fertilizer as a lost leader. See, because they, and then they load you up on pesticides. Oh yeah. You know, I, I yeah. see it all the time, all around me. That's why I'm so disgusted. I moved to the mountains again. You know, because it's just. It's, it's insanity. And, uh, you know, they're creating a problem that, that, that these, that, and, and really a bottom line is uh, this valley, uh, the Willamette Valley, has been a very productive place, but they go industrial, they go monoculture, and then mm -hmm. the disease hits one of those monocultures, and then it goes away, like hops went to Yakima. Potatoes used to be here. No, they're not here anymore. They're in Idaho, right. Washington. Right. Uh, used to be pl uh, pl uh, plums, you know, prune plums, cherries, right. uh, lots of stuff, you know. And the, mon and the hazelnuts, now they're back on hazelnuts that were wiped out by the hazelnut blight. <clears throat> so that's what I'm saying about the industrial model. That's a monoculture with, with a rescue chemistry. Mm -hmm. And unless, unless we can get people understanding how things work and giving credibility to, you know, to, to those things. But the people that are, that are pushing the chemicals and the salt fertilizers have gigantic resources. So you're sure looking at a problem that's yeah. bigger than choice, the choice farmers make. It's, it's how we're dominated uh, by, by the petrochemical industry and it's, you know, illegitimate son and daughter petrochemical and uh you know farm pesticides it's all part of the same thing sure and uh that's the problem well, <clears throat> so how do we when, get around that well <laughs> that's yeah. for another day's discussion <clears throat> well when i used to work with people still to this day of any size they, i tell them you need two things from concentrates you want to get a five gallon jug of uh bioag uh full power and you want to get you know the uh, big bag of the was it 50 pound bag of humic acid i said now you got a fighting chance to turn this to work with this soil that's mediocre by design and try to elevate it to something that has some tilth some some value to it and uh it was your products that allowed me to, to recoup, or not recoup, but I had seeds that I kept in uh, several layers of uh, cryovac in a freezer going back 22 years and using your uh, fulvic acid to pre-soak seeds using the directions. I was able to achieve almost over 22, 23%, 25% germination rate on 22-year-old seeds. Some of the people that buy new seeds from these breeders, they're excited if they get that level of uh, germination. So, I mean, 
they're not going to last three years from these poor yeah. uh, breeding practices. It isn't going to happen. No, they don't. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, the viability, it all starts with the seed. Yes. So that's not supercharged. Yes. <laughs> At the time yes. of termination, yes. you're not yes. going to get the genetic potential. No. That's another thing they don't want them to know. See, and they all, they'd always bad mouth uh, soil inoculants or seed inoculants. I mean, yeah. you know, the local university here, OSU, they're, you know, they are like dyed in the wool, you know. Oh, no, that can't help. That can't work. I mean, you can't no, increase no. the germination. Well, a guy that works for me who just was working on his master's degree did that as his master's degree at OSU on using humic substances and fulvic acid for seed germination. Mm -hmm. Yes. Did a paper on it. Well, guess what? It worked. <laughs> yeah yeah or, or they'll find out see that. that uh or they find you know, oh they'll they'll, they'll poo poo it they'll find a flaw oh yeah you know? oh yeah okay. or I know, just, I, I, know. I know the words to this song i i bought this battle and i'm now i'm retired and have at it uh you reduced uh i used to have a tagline on my post and it said once you reduce the wolf down to a chihuahua you can't take it back so you've taken these genetics uh from these from ancient cultures, you bring them to America, and then immediately you start denigrating, denigrating, denigrating the quality of the genetics. And then you wonder why you have these immense problems with regard to yield, to potency, all kinds of, uh, you talk about monocropping, you should see some of the strains that are mono. It reduced it down to one or two terpenes or something. I mean, it blows my mind. Yeah, it's just, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. No, I mean, there's right. sexual reproduction for a reason, you know, so. Right. You know, so everything is cloned because everything needs to be uniform. Right. You know, it needs to be a like, uniform world. You, you know? mean, you mean like the Christmas tree industry? Down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so we're yeah. into this uniform. Again, that's an industrial model, you know. It's yep. good for things to be uniform so that they go yeah. over the conveyor belt. So, you know, so. Uh, so what do we do? I don't know, but um, really pass the knowledge on because people knew how to do it before the industrial model yeah. happened. And that, that's yes. my interest. How did they do it for thousands of years? Right. How did folk live in the Willamette Valley for 10,000 years fairly successfully or Hawaii, which is even more interesting uh, in, in the Mayan and so forth. How did they do it without resources, without metals even, <clears throat> you know? Uh, so that's the model. People are always looking for the model for sustainability. Hey, they're out there. They've been there. You know, right. we just don't want to take a look at it because it's not industrial. It's, it's, it's primitive. It's, you know, well, do you want to survive or you just want to eat up everything, eat right. up all the resources of the world and let the whole thing go to totally go to hell, you know? So that's the choice. Yeah, we can continue the industrial model until, you know, the whole machine falls apart, which is what will happen. I live because about, about two miles from the epicenter of what once was the hazelnut industry up near Oregon City. And I can drive you by tracks of homes that replaced those trees because once they got diseased, there was no going back and they just had to take them down. And that whole, like you mentioned, that whole segment was gone, just disappeared yeah. over a 10, 15 year period. Uh, 
Uh, it's amazing. That's it. They're planting more houses. See, they're taking ground and planting houses on it. And of course, this is what a lot of ancient civilizations what happened. Yeah, where they really outgrew their resources. It just because we're clever, you know, and have cheap fossil fuels doesn't mean we're immune from making the same mistakes. You know, uh, we can just do it bigger and quicker. Yeah, more efficiently. Yeah, we can decimate yeah. farmland a lot more efficiently. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You see the tractors they have out here now. Like, oh, my God, they take the whole road, you know, and uh, yeah. right. they right, right. just bigger every year, bigger and heavier, and, you know. You know, we, it's like tanks. It's like warfare. It's, um, and so they can get the job done, destroy the ground. Oh man, five, ten years. You know, you got cement. So that's that's what's going on, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, they don't. Uh, you get you get a lot of people are paying attention though. There's a lot of people that if offered alternatives, they would go for it. You know. Well, the in business, fact, I worked with yeah. a big hemp farm, and they they went for it completely. Our whole approach, yes. and in fact, they have a big vineyard that, that I was that they're establishing, and I'm working with it, that took our entire program. You know, from uh, uh, biochar, humates, and you name it, uh, mycorrhizal. So there there mm -hmm. are people willing to willing to go full bore and be examples. So right. bottom line, that's what you need. You need some folks that can take the risk and be good examples and for, for the rest. And that's the only way farmers pay any attention anyway. You know, it's like, well, look at old Joe's doing down the road. He just got a new pickup, you know, and look at his right. crop. So what's he doing? <laughs> and so, oh, yeah, somebody has to be the example. Yeah. And we're working uh, with some folks like we are. I've been I recommending be adding <clears throat> adding neem and kelp meal, all the things that are now considered poison, you understand, um, to worm bins, to get it into the system as early as possible. Uh, and now when you get done a couple of years later, you have a true, a true material to mix your potting soils. It doesn't come in a plastic bag that has a really funny, stupid picture on it with a bunch of ingredients or what they call label building. And that's what dominates the cannabis scene. You have these mediocre soils that are without merit, that have little or any biology, and we're going to fix it because we're going to feed them. What are you going to feed them? We're our new program. Oh, okay. Good stuff. A new salt combo. Yeah, new salt. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So... Yeah, well, you know, we're doing some things here in the Valley with, with composting on a massive scale, a company I work with. And, you know, I basically told him, I said, you know, why don't you get into this? I mean, you, you're already in the biomass business. Why don't you make the investment? And he did. And this is a huge set of equipment. And to utilize all these wood wastes, you know, and, and the humates and, you mm -hmm. know, and... Uh, microbial you know i have a cold composting method that uses fungi and uh so i think there is an opportunity for good soils i told him there's a need we can do it you know there's, there's definitely a need cheap local ingredients and it's gonna work not a problem you know you have well, to do this, it on a scale the year that this went legal here in oregon was a disaster on a number of levels, not the least of which was you had just had the uh, 
spreadsheet crowd, you know, from the hedge funds, the Canadian banks, oh, yeah. the uh, Asian bank, you know, the drill. And it was a disaster. And, you know, you can, peat moss and perlite is not a soil. You, and the claim is made over and over. No, no, this one's different. No, it isn't. It's peat moss and perlite. And a tablespoon of this and a tablespoon of that and a really cool graphic. And all of a sudden, you got a potting soil. So. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, that's that your. That stuff is, is mine. It's not, that's not sustainable stuff. No. You know, like uh, no. peat moss and perlite. That's all mined. But see, that's the mentality, though. Right. We're mining this yeah. stuff. Right. We're going to, I mean, yeah. <laughs> See, that's part of the whole same big picture, you know. Uh, or my favorite is we got to throw it away and start with fresh soil. We need to do that everything. Yeah. You want it fresh. So, yeah, that's, that's, my, a, yeah. Uh, yeah. that's not yeah. true either. Uh, yeah, I know. When I was at the research farm in, in Berlin, Germany at Humboldt University, one of the researchers was doing tests on just exactly that, reusing media. Is, is that an issue? Is it a problem? So they got this big study on where they're reusing media versus throwing it away. And like how many crops could they get? What problems would they have? No, they, they figured it out to where they could do that. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. It, again, yeah. it's about education. <laughs> It's 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 uh it's marketing. Who's marketing stronger? Yeah. Yeah. Some dumb <laughs> luck is a good name for a uh a, a fertilizer. Because, you know, <laughs> you can you can with you can you know make people believe just about anything. I mean, look look at the world today. I mean, I mean, look at the world for forever. I mean, you can make people believe in um, you name it. Yeah. So they'll go for it. You know what they don't go for is science, because that that's like heresy. You know. It's oh, like, I know. Oh, absolutely. No, no. Science is verboten. Yeah. In, in this in this, can in this cannabis true. scene, forget it. Verboten. I mean, silliness like uh, neem will kill you. Neem will cause uh, cancers. Uh, it cause uh, brain issues. It causes uh, the list. One thing in the cannabis, see, the most easiest way to sell against it is to humanize something and then describe it in those terms that have nothing to do with the actual material. Like, for example, how is it that the human race has been using seaweed as a farm material, agricultural material? going back millennia. But now it's said, no, 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 no. You can't do it. It'll, it'll, it causes, you know, there's some gibberellic acid in there and terms they don't even know. Just, you know, throw out, you know, like keep throwing out the bullshit and to make a claim that somehow neem is more dangerous to the human health. <laughs> well, than, they uh, make that that's what I mean. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, 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 mean, that's the argument is, and the, and the more BS you get, then the more you know that your product is actually something that you probably want to use because of the, the well, amount I mean, of bottom line, you know, if you have to sell your product by downgrading and bad mouthing other people's product, 
you probably don't have a very good product. Right. That's probably your only way, your only path, you know. Right. Is and yeah, and and that's how it works for sure. I know. But I mean, what what do they used to say about pot? About smoking pot? I mean, you look at reefer madness. I mean, one puff and you just go loony, you know, you grab a knife and get to go attack people and you know, it kills you, it destroys you. So I mean, discrediting things and lying about them, that's hey, <laughs> that's 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 the approach. That's the that's the typical approach. So you don't like it, it's bad, it's dangerous. It's uh and some of those kind of people we don't like use it particularly. <clears throat> but yeah. yeah, so it's always going to be dangerous. And oh, you don't want to take that because right. that's dangerous. You, you should get, you should just, you know, stick it out with the COVID and, and don't take any of the known based yeah, on yeah. science. Yeah. Things that you go listen to the news and they'll tell you what's good and bad. You don't want to take a horse farmer. We're not a horse. See that whole thing. I mean, and and that that's all misinformation that's directed, you know, for a reason. There's reasons behind all that. Discredit, you know, what really works. So you can push in your, you know, the money make the money money punch. When I first started, so uh, using as long your as product, people understand that, if they start to understand that, it's not going to work anymore. Right. See? When I and first started using your products, I had to uh, buy it through you. You didn't have this wonderful distribution system, and you didn't have like Jeremy at Billisoy and all these other wonderful outlets. And so the day that I walked into Concentrates, uh, and I saw your products there, I just did a yippee skippy, uh, you know, because I could because I live real close to there, I could just go over and buy it, and uh, you know, use it, and. Uh, yeah, five-gallon uh, uh, jugs of the acid, the humic uh, fulvic acid, and then the 50-pound uh, bags of the humic acid. So I've been a good supporter of, uh, well, your science and, and your uh, everything. Uh, I've, I've, I've been a, a loyal uh, uh, advocate, how's that, uh, of using the bio-ag uh, product. You know. appreciate that, all the support we can get. It's been yeah. a struggle, struggle yeah. against the state regulators, and then, yeah. you know, the competitors. I'm telling you, so Dr. You, know, you just can't on, win. You've been working on some silica microbes and some silica products. You want to tell us about that? Because I'm real excited to learn more about that. Yeah, that, that, that kind of it works, too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I've been working with this silica problem for a long time. I mean, since I was in Hawaii. And we were, you know, we were testing different lava flows, which are some of them are really high in silicic acid, but all kinds of things and what works. And I know what works. What I used to uh, get out of Utah, out of a fumarole deposit, that was really high in silicic acid and sulfur, although we couldn't get that anymore. I mean, we used to reclaim land with that product in Idaho, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, so now, uh, it's a different ball game entirely. So what we're doing, the problem with, with it's, it's different in soils than it is in hydroponics. In hydroponics, it's hard to, to keep silica in, in, in the right PPM of silicic acid for plant, for optimum plant growth. And it is crucial because it's, uh, it has a lot to do with 
plant and insect uh, plant disease resistance. Mm -hmm. So uh, the problem always was we had a good product. We still do. We have a good salicylic acid product, but you put it into, into uh, hydroponic media, even if you're really careful, you know, it, and all of them are like this. They're salts of some sort or acids. So they tend to combine. So pretty quick, they tie up. You might even see a milky mm -hmm. in terms of thing milk. Okay, so, but how do we get, and it's crucial. <laughs> Silica is really crucial. So how do you get that into the plant past all the other salts and all the things that are reactive? And so that's when we got working with a company that really did the, their homework. And we have a, uh, a nano, nano-sized uh, silica in, in a, that has a special suspending agent. And some of these nano products are actually produced by microbial activity. Mm -hmm. it's, it's unique in terms of how mm -hmm. they produce yeah. the nanoparticles. And then knowing that they are nanoparticles by using electron microscopes, because then you can measure you know, down to micron, submicron sizes. So that's the real criteria. Is it really micron? Is it really a nanoparticle? Well, because nanoparticles can be directly taken up by plant roots. See, and then the plant, once it's safely in the plant, then the enzyme systems within the plant and organic acids uh, with the help of fulvic acid, which it takes up from the soil, process that nanoparticle and then it becomes the monosilicic acid that the, plant, the cells need, it's a cellular need and cell wall, cell membrane, you know, <clears throat> leaf surface become plated essentially with opal, which is what the silicic acid turns into in the plant. But yeah, so the trick is getting into the plant. So yeah, our new bio super cell, I think I just saw it go by, is, is the product that's doing that. And our, our actual research on cannabis was spectacular. I, th I think I showed pictures uh, last time, but I have, the research paper we did on that and the pictures and everything. And it's just remarkable. I might be able to find it even, but, uh, so, so that's, that took a long time to get for science to get to that point to where we, where we understood what was going on with nanoparticles and how to, how to produce them microbial, microbially with microbes. Okay. Um, <laughs> And that, that's the that's the bio super cell. So it's good in soils or a uh, foliar even. I mean, it'll be absorbed, but but it's specifically uh, a really good deal for hydroponics <laughs> if you're growing cannabis in hydroponics. and hydroponics. And you don't have so much of falling down, like whether it's wheat or whatever the crop is, or yes. cannabis or hemp. You have a strong stem. We have silica. It's it makes. That's why the plants that are most responsive to silica out there in the world, one of them is sugarcane, because otherwise the whole goddamn field will blow over, <laughs> lay flat. See, so silica in rice is the other one. Rice, rice and sugarcane are big responders, right? So anything with a big stock or a lot of stock to it, you know, it's it's crucial to it. You know, otherwise the plant's using all its energy just trying to fix the damage every time it's you know the wind blows <clears throat> you know and, and the stress is behind all that 
Um, so yeah, so that's a crucial missing link that everybody ought to take a look at is our bioag supercell. And I would show the pictures. I mean, we did a uh, whole summer. Well, we've been doing this for a couple of years with that product, but we did the actual testing work out here. And uh, I was kind of amazed myself at, uh, but really when you find the missing links and you can fix them, come up with the answer. I mean, we don't know what the genetic potential is. I mean, uh, a lot of these plants, I've sure seen some monster plants though. <laughs> I've seen some monster plants. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're using the silica, making sure we got the silica nutrition going. And then we're making sure that we have the right microbes in the root system to be the intermediaries between the minerals and the soil and the, and the plant uh, roots and the cells, really, I should say plant roots. It's really cells. It's the whole thing is about cells. So we have those microbes. We have the microbes now. And How would have, I incorporate have, that into the vermiculture cycle? So I'm going to, I take uh, material and then do a thermophilic and then a mesophilic about nine months uh, curing to use a lay, lay person's term and then go put it, run it through the worm bins, which is another several months. At what point would I want to add that a silica source like you're describing to that uh, in that process? Well, in, in an earthworm casting situation, that's an interesting question because when they do a lot of testing, we use testing, we do extracts from, from earthworm uh, castings, right? Because it, right. it's another source of humic substances and plant growth right. compounds. And it's just about, you know, so it's pretty active. So I would suspect really that good vermicompost is going to be already high in silica. Okay. Uh, and Thank you. silicate. Right. <clears throat> you know, if you use it in the normal way, but if you use it, you know, as a media, of course, you wouldn't be using it as a media for hydroponics. No, necessarily, no. I don't think. No, no, but in the soil, yeah. I think you're good. See, the soil is a different ball game. Like yes. when they test for silica, you have to actually take soil and mix the silica with it. It's tricky analysis, and it has to incubate in the soil, and then you can test the soil because it's so tied in, it's so involved with microbial activity in the forms. It's so transitional. It's so uh, amorphous. You know. So it's converting back and around. It's just, you know, I mean, silicon dioxide is sand, right? So you have everything from sand on up uh, a whole range of compounds. I mean, I think probably in other planets, there's, you know, silicon uh, life forms, like we're, we're, we're a carbon form, you know, and it's been suggested that there's probably silicon forms. And I'll say that you wrote years ago and had it at your uh, webpage for a long time was on uh, colloidal minerals and i downloaded that yeah. and i i passed that i at least 300 copies around to people quit using azomite quit using bentonite quit using zeolite in your soils i know it sounds groovy and it's all cool but for example the uh, azomite what's the real name of that uh that's a brand name it's a Mont mantra clay yeah, well, it's it sort of, to me, it's a gypsum. It's, 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 
it's like a low grade form of gypsum that, that has a lot of uh, um, silicates, maybe feldspar, something like that. It's like it's, it's a mineral deposit, but I but I always thought of it as sort of a, a, a middle grade gypsum. You know, it's like somewhere between the formation of gypsum uh, and and something else. Right. You know, it's got so the effect of a lot of those things is from the silicon. The reason and, they work, and in France, where it was discovered, the one that azomite is—that's the rennet. But they've been making uh, the beehive ovens, bread ovens, for six, seven hundred years. And while maybe a wonderful ceramic for making an oven, I'm kind of conflicted. Like, so how does that play into adding it to a soil? So I just stick with basalt rock dust, and uh, yeah. well, basalt yeah. rock dust is the highest source of silica. But you need the microbial activity right. going on to make useful. Right. Let's see. Uh, and I used the cascade, and I had the opportunity to speak to one of the uh, people that were involved in the formation of that company, Cascade. And he had worked for the U.S. Geological Service his uh, like forty years in, when he retired. So he spent almost two hours with me explaining volcanoes because that's not my area expertise in that Hawaii and or the Northwest had some of the best basalt and it had to do with its hardness. Does that make sense to you that he would make a statement like that? Well, yeah, I mean, if in Hawaii, we got several names for, for lava, Pahoyhoy and uh, Ai. Uh, it, it, it's about the, how quick they cooled, quick or right, slow. Right, so right. Hard, the hard, dense stuff, you know, He's kind of hard to work with, but that ah, uh -uh, that stuff on the surface that's, you know, that's kind of friable, and that's what we actually eat, plant crops in that in that stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can take a lava flow, and in 150 years, you're gonna have a 150 foot rainforest. Right. See now that how and that nobody's helping. Nobody's helping. See that's that's also one of my examples of um, what what happens in nature with just organic matter and silicates and rock minerals, you know, with, just leave it alone in the right environment, you know, you'll have a six feet of uh, uh, organic rich mineral soil on top of a lava rock. And that, that's what I observed. Right. And uh, every stage in between, depending how old that lava flow is. I mean, so yeah, uh, that's the mineral source for sure. Yeah. So without volcanoes, you don't have very good ground. It's, I mean, it's not, you know, it, it's depleted. It, it's one of the two ways that soils it gets remineralized. It's either going to be from a volcano or it's going to be from flooding, like in the Nile River, or like Southern Idaho, it's going to be dust that got blown in from China and deposited somebody else's dirt, somebody else's soil from their own, you know, bad soil management. So, yeah. So civilizations go away based on some of that stuff. You know, of course, obviously a volcano, you're going to go away. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, if, if you can, it's just like Mount Vesuvius in, in Italy. And uh, Pompeii, I mean, that, they were, or, or right now there's a volcano going off in uh, Canary Islands and uh, they're farming. I mean, that just like Martinique or uh, in the Caribbean, all those places, 
are really rich agricultural places, the, the flanks of those volcanoes. Right. Whether it's in South America, El Salvador, Guatemala, wherever it is, uh, Ecuador, you know, wherever you have volcanoes, um, you can grow stuff. Um, but, it, you know, it goes through this transition, you know, has to, it takes a lot of time and a lot of, a lot of organic matter and right. microbes and minerals, that big mix, you know, and then earthworms mm -hmm. get into the into the whole thing and that happens. And then we come along and, uh, and you know, deplete this. The, the Hawaiians didn't. The Hawaiians knew how to maintain. They knew how to maintain, but I think because they had learned the hard way, uh, possibly, uh, in Ireland they were in before. Ireland is the Polynesians killing too many trees and then uh, kind of going to war with each other over it. Uh, isn't that the story? Mm -hmm. of Kind of basically what we're doing to the planet, but on a smaller scale. Yeah, yeah islands is a good example of a planet. Yeah, you know, it's like you're isolated in space, you know, like an island in the ocean. And so you have limited resources. And, uh, there's a ratio between how many people you can have and how many trees you have. You know, that, that's basically uh, tropical agriculture. I mean, eventually slash and burn you're done at some yeah. point in that. Well, I got one for you. So I've been promoting the use of uh, malted grains for several years. Uh, barley, because we grow good barley here in Oregon, uh, over in Eastern Oregon, uh, has some of the highest enzyme levels for beer brewing. So that's what I started using. Now I find out, you ready for this? You're gonna, you'll love this. No, you if mean you, you want to go get a crap of beer, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but did you know that if you add that to your soil, that you'll increase the microbial colonies to the point where they collapse? They're just spent. Think of an orgy and everybody oh, yeah. laying around. Yeah, you, you didn't know that? Yeah, so be careful when oh, you the talk high about energy it. sports. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, alcohol, yeah. sugars, yeah. you know. You, you can produce organic acids that sterilizes the wine or the beer or yeah. the soil. Yeah. People don't understand. They said, "What if I put sugar on the soil? Isn't that good?" Or molasses. And I said, oh. "What do they make? What do they use to make alcohol? And what happens in the soil? I mean, yeast is the first thing that happens. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, and that that sugar is going to turn into that vinegar. But is that alcohol. richer? Is that richer? What you you want to limit the amount of microbes in your soil? Otherwise, you'll have microbial collapse. That's the exact uh, term." microbial well, it, collapse it, it, it's, yeah it's that same thing it's a population and that's population dynamics and that's like you know that's that's how fermentation works you get to a point where they just the numbers are so high they they they, they create wastes and they create they use up the energy source and, and then they collapse and then the whole population because right, right, right. that's a monoculture that's a monoculture right, right. See? yeah but if in a soil isn't a monoculture Supposedly the it's, it's really fungal too. That's why we want to convert soils to fungal dominance away from yes. bacterial dominance. On so that the, note, the microbial collapse is a, is a joke that we're, it, that's not an actual thing. But actually it is. Um, the person who has uh, promoted that has uh, gone on several, several so-called cannabis science programs has uh, spewed this over and over and over and over. And now it's become the mantra. 
of uh, here, buy my product, buy, buy, buy my product. And I think what I was trying to explain with, uh, ask with Dr. Foss, and I, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but the more criticism you, can, you take on your methods, then you can be assured that you're hitting somebody in the pocketbook. Okay. Because if you're, that's just the way it is. If I want you to buy yeah. something like a, a, an overpriced compost tea brewer, all right, then what I need to do is make sure that you feel like I'm not going to have a good enough crop unless I buy this thing from you. And to that end, the more misinformation you can throw out there and get people concerned, well, you know, I heard, I, or somebody told me, I read online, you know, that's how you end up with silliness like basalt's going to cause, uh, it's got heavy metals and it's going to cause your crops to collapse. And, you know, just, it's insane. It's insane. I mean, it's like going no, to- it goes like, back. There's vampires in the woods and only I can protect you from those vampires. That's right. And I have this, I have this uh, special herbal, you know. Talisman, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talisman. Yeah. Um, listen yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing changes. No. Nothing changes. It's, it's, it's style. And then you, you get them stoned on some decent weed. And now they're open to anything you tell them. Really? That's all you got to do? That's all you got to do, man. Just take this stuff. Mix it in the water and dump it on your plants and you'll achieve, you know, 300% yield. Okay. And if you don't get that, then they come back it's and good say, once. yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you mean? What's sustainable agriculture? What does that even mean? You know, to get that. I, I mix my soil fresh every cycle. Good for you. So you go pick up a pallet of uh, bags of crap from you know, a nursery supply house and start hitting and make sure you get that dolomite line because you want to get the magnesium for those magnesium hungry plants. You know, right. So, I mean, the whole charade and fertilizer companies like Herman Miller. And when you're on that level, you can imagine the amount of money that goes into marketing uh, for an organization that large. And then it's filtered oh, yeah. down into the cannabis scene. We repack it, we rebadge it, we give it another name, give it some uh, powers that don't exist on this planet, and then just push the hell out of it. That's why. That's what I see. Well, it's all you know. Oh, that's yeah. That, that's that is how it's been for quite a while. I hope that my company will be changing that. I hope that's, so, that's so, so too. Special. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. promoting the yeah you know another way you know. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely promoting a, uh, well, I've always been the alternative. Yes. But right now, absolutely. you know, we're aiming, we're, we're focusing it down, um, specifically to cannabis, just because, uh, like you say, I mean, actually people are more open. It's also kind of a good thing. So, I mean, if people are a little more open, um, then they're, you know, they can learn to, 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 learn the difference, you know? And, and I think a lot of the younger generation know the difference between BS and, and what the truth is, or they, you know, or they, I don't know, they're wising up. I mean, they got the internet, you can look things up. So, you know, I, I think we can. Well, um, I know one thing, there's a lot of coots mixed soil out there 
that I had nothing to do with. And they, they on their own read things online and decided I'm going to mix my own soil. Let's see what happens. And to this day, I've never received one other than somebody I know to be a fraud that said, oh, my God, it was the worst crop I ever had. Oh, my God. You know, I got to go back to fill in the blank, you know, some silly uh, new program. So I yeah, tell that's you, really I, how it ends up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Find out the world's not going to end. You know, yeah, yeah. I just tell you, uh, use coot snoots, and uh, but you don't buy them for me. I'll tell you where to buy them at the best price. Like your products, I tell people, hey, go to concentrates. You know, buy it in bulk. It's not going anywhere. In fact, I called your office many years ago and I asked about the shelf life of the bio. Excuse me, of the uh, folic acid. And uh, you were kind enough to take the time to explain it to me that, you know, this is a, a, I don't want to give away any secrets, but a fermented product. So basically it had no shelf life. I mean, it was like, it would last for years and years and years and years, whatever I'm trying to say. Um, so uh, that's why I, I, like I said before, I tell people at the beginning of the season, you know, you get a five gallon bucket or get a five gallon pail and, and of that get a 50 pound uh, bag of the humic acid and, and some BAM of the uh, in TM7. I'm a real big uh, uh, promoter of your TM7 because the, the, those uh, trace minerals are chelated with the uh, fulvic acid, if I understand the entry on the um, materials page at your website correctly. Oh, yeah, because that is the natural mechanism in nature. You know, it's going to be humic substances, and they have a huge role in, in chelation of trace elements and transport of, right. of trace elements across right. the cell membrane and all that. Again, and then TM7 is the seven trace elements right. that are mostly deficient. That are the limiting factors in most conditions. Not Absolutely. All, we make a special one. We make them for different areas too. Like we make a different one for Colorado. There's a gotcha. little different scenario. Right. Yeah. And so there are the big missing links. And so this chelation, you know, you got to buy a EDTA, chelate, and all that. No, uh, that's, that's not how it's done. <clears throat> um, so that's all that is. It's it's humic acids that are processed with with trace elements in the whole process. <clears throat> cheap. It's a cheap version of chelated uh, trace element, and it has everything. You know, it's got cobalt, molybdenum, and vanadium things like right. that. Normally, right. Think right. about. Well, the big one in, in potting soils. Uh, especially with those that are core-based, is the complete and utter absence of sulfur. And that's why you will read online, core growers uh, say, well, you know, I, I'm just not getting the aroma. I'm not getting the flavors. Well, without sulfur, isn't that like at the base of most metabolic functions on this planet? Is sulfur? It's, it's totally crucial. It's it's a, a part of an essential amino acid. Okay. Sulfur uh, containing amino acid. <clears throat> uh, tryptophan. Oh, no. anyway, I forget. But yeah, sulfur was the big deal. Like when I worked in uh, Montana and Idaho, I mean, they were so sulfur deficient that you could 
you could put a, a product I sold was called sulfur soil. And it was like 25% sulfur and I'd had about 13% silica, uh, silicic acid, and then trace elements and iron. And that would literally, that literally turned uh, some of those farms around because they were just, it was classic, classic sulfur deficiency, you know, and you're going to see that, you know, and yes. sulfur is just as important or more important to plants than phosphorus. Right. See? So sulfur yeah. is a major limiting factor in plant growth. Well, and I'd like to ask nutrition. you a question on that subject. <clears throat> so traditionally I've used gypsum as a source of sulfur. Would I be better off to use a sulfur oxide, like the old burning sulfur they used to use for uh, getting rid of, of uh, um, powdery mildew? You know, yeah. uh, sm smell up your house, yeah. but I mean, the raw material, not burning it. I just mean the raw material. Yeah, well, you can. Well, the, the sulfur is another one of these things that's difficult, like uh, silica. Now, so you can use what they call elemental sulfur if it's right. finely ground. It's really, but it has to be, believe it or not, for sulfur like that, elemental yellow sulfur, uh, <clears throat> it has to be broken down by something called thiobacillus theooxidants. So it's a soil bacteria that's energy source is sulfur. Okay, so that that bacteria reduces that sulfur to sulfuric acid, mm, and then okay. sulfate, and then plants can take it up. But but elemental sulfur by itself is insoluble, and in, in plant and so no benefit to plants. And then gypsum is because it it's sulfate, it's calcium sulfate, but in a wet soil it can revert back to sulfur, elemental. Uh, a micronized form, and then microbes break it down. Sulfur is really complex. It's, right. it's really complex. But microbes are totally like crucial to that whole thing. Sure. Because it's it, of that one. Uh, and in some places in the world, they'll actually inoculate uh, sulfur with the theobacillus theooxidants. <clears throat> and even rock phosphate with sulfur uh, and then this, this bacillus that eats the sulfur, and then another one that eats the phosphorus. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, we talked about that earlier, about how other places in the world are way ahead of us on all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's true, because all this information comes from uh, other places, because we're just <laughs> the industrial model. But yeah, where it counts, you know, they're 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 looking at things like sulfur, and then let's let's take sulfur and mix it with bacteria, and let's, you know, use a fungus to stimulate, you know, nitrogen fixation or phosphate release and all that. <clears throat> because of the world's cheapest chemists, it's it's basically what Cuba did because they got cut off from uh, buying fertilizers and chemicals, and they're smart enough people. That they put together, you know, their own biological products, and uh, you know, I mean, they're not a shining example of agricultural success, but right, right, there's right. other reasons right. for that. But you know, the bottom line is, we we could we could make it work that way, and whether that's cannabis or whatever it is, uh, you, uh, you basically you would you would change the world. If you wouldn't mind, uh, I think it would be beneficial to cannabis growers in particular. 
Could you explain the nitrification benefits, or not benefits, but the nitrification process that neem brings to the soil? Because that is one of the most misunderstood aspects of neem is the nitrification, which you also well, find in the fungi. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is it, it's a denitrification inhibitor. Okay. Right. So, right. for instance, let's put. Yeah, you, you have something that's got a high nitrogen source in it. It doesn't matter whether it's natural or whether it's urea. Urea is natural, but it's a synthetic too. Uh, what ends up happening is, um, again, it's, it goes to microbes. See, and most of these people are chemists and they don't, you know, they don't get, get all this. So right. that urea, whether it's urine or whether it's like chemical urea, is, is broken down by ammonified bacteria that create ammonia. They take urea, they break it apart. And, and you know, uh, urea is a combination of, of air and ammonia. So it reverts back to ammonia. Then there's bacteria called nitrifying bacteria. And right. they take that ammonia, which is fixed in the soil. It doesn't leach because it's part of the soil colloid. And so these microbes break it down into nitrates, nitrates which does leach in a good rain, and that, that's your soluble nitrate, which plants take up. They also take up ammonia. See, mm. so, when, when, so that's nitrification. So if you use neem as a nitrification inhibitor, it reduces the bacteria that cause the convert from ammonia to nitrate. Mm. And so you save that nitrogen that's being produced by Whatever it can, it can be from nitrogen fixation too by legumes, or free living soil microbes uh, are fixing nitrogen. But the nitrifying bacteria are nitrifying it into a soluble form, which is kind of good and kind of bad because you know it can be leached mm -hmm. rapidly, and the ammonia can't. It fixes as part of the colloid. You know, <clears throat> so the neem stops that a lot. Uh, so does the uh, humic acid. Mm. Stops that. It doesn't stop it completely, but it stops it. So you save a pretty big percentage of the nitrogen, like 35, 40, maybe higher percent. Yeah. And, and so to coat fertilizers with neem, you see, and I was bringing some stuff in from India that was like that, where they use right. neem oil and they coated these particles. But you mix that with like regular fertilizer or organic fertilizer, and it's an, one one of the things. <laughs> it's a nitrification inhibitor. Yeah, that's well, a good thing, especially in a rainy, uh, hot environment where that can happen so fast that you put the nitrogen on, and, and you know it's going to be leached leached away in a few days. So that's a big part of it. Um, and that's what's really a good thing about it. And that's not all. You know, there's, there's other things, as you know. You know, the insect uh, growth regulation effect uh, seems to, does seem to stimulate uh, a range of things, you know, like especially earthworms. And there seems to be some benefits in there, too. Yes. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to say why exactly. I'm sure somebody has worked on that. Well, there's one number for you that, uh, and this came from the uh, book, the German uh, 
uh, entomologist. We'll call him Dr. S because there's no way I'm going to be able to pronounce it. Um, that the name, uh, he goes through excruciating detail in the book, all the different forms of just as a directive. But it took, uh, he, he cites in there that it took uh, Indian uh, chemist 18 years to figure out not the formula, but the structure, the molecular structure of just as a directin, which is, as you know, there's like 360 something compounds in neem and about 22 are considered important by cannabis crowd, the pesticide, the function site. But that's just a part of it. There's the antiviral, uh, you know, and just a whole bunch of things. And all I know is that when I started using neem, I guess 15 years ago, I quit having all these problems with stuff flying in my out of my soil, like you know, gnats and hey, I don't know which one's which, but I know I don't sit there and swat my in front of my face. Uh, definitely fungus gnats. Yeah, they're they're definitely yeah. controlled. Yeah. Right. So I, this is a question I would love to know because I've never had a chance to actually ask somebody this. What can neem uh, treat or solve that Bavaria bassiana or similar products cannot? Well, it's two different modes of action there. Uh, you know, I like to use the soil applied neem products because they act as a systemic. They, they move it up. <clears throat> But, you know, neem doesn't control everything for sure in, in, in terms of insects, you know, because it's an insect growth regulator. It, it breaks right. the cycle. So it's all right. an insect. It can't reach maturity. So it's not like a, a quick knockdown. See, now, if you have uh, leaf feeding pests, um, you know, some pretty nasty ones out there, uh, fungal uh Entomophagus, entomophagus fungi, you know, can control them. And it's really a devastating, <laughs> really incredible too. So yeah, Bavaria bassiana and some of those things, you know, they're, they're, you'd go after like bigger stuff with that, you know, but you have to have the right conditions for it. Whereas is the neem is going to be like little stuff, you know, like, um, psyllids uh, and maybe aphids and thrips and things where you can break their life cycle mite uh, things like that but it, it's not going to hold back you know um, active leaf feeders uh, uh, there's a whole range of them <clears throat> and uh, yeah there, there's there's a whole range of biopesticides totally Mm -hmm. There's there there's a, a big enough arsenal there that we would definitely wouldn't need chemical pesticides. There's no question about that. Yeah, and, and I mean I have about ten or twelve different cultures on hand, you know. But uh, it, the regulatory capture on that is difficult, see, because uh, you have these products uh, like Bavaria, Bassiana, a whole range of things. There is a huge range. And, uh, you know, you got registration, you got EPA, you got all that. So it's what they call regulatory capture. So they've captured that industry, the petrochemical people have captured the regulation 
part of you know pesticides and so they can keep those things out <clears throat> so yeah uh the i found that the, some of the fungal pathogens are just incredibly uh effective you know in research that i've done that was never utilized commercially because it's just too good <laughs> it's just too good yeah and well, you can't uh, patent it oh shit so uh, on a slightly separate note um uh, what are some of the best i mean we have two amazing uh, organic um uh, growers here uh, with coot and dr faust um, what are some of the uh, most beneficial organic inputs? I know both of you are a huge fan of kelp extract. Maybe that's a good place to start. Is there any others that you guys think are, are you know, highly beneficial to people? I know Dr. Faust, you're much more of a specialist with the humix and fulvix, but um, what are some of the other different things that maybe you both agree on as far as organic inputs? Uh, the main thing you want to use is something you can get cheap close. I mean, it's not something, well, I'm going to go find the ideal thing, but I have to ship it in from 2,000, 5,000 miles away. It's what you there can you source locally that, uh, you know, that is practical. And, and I found interesting things around here in Oregon, you know, uh, that you, you can get. So that's the rule of thumb mm -hmm. because, you know, it, it's got to be something that, because Holland's the biggest problem biggest cost <clears throat> so you got to get like what you can get like around here you can get like mint compost you mm -hmm. can get municipal compost you can get um oh, a range of, of stuff uh, i like slag it's from steel company from a steel mill in mcminnville i like that that slag a lot it's because it works perfectly for the soil conditions we have here you know i need that slag it's like uh, artificial lava, <laughs> except they use calcium, they use limestone. Right. So it's like limestone lava. And uh, <clears throat> that's what the ground needs around here. I mean, we need, the, we need to bring the pH up and we need the calcium big time. So it, it's knowing what you need and then finding a local cheap source that they consider something you throw away or sell cheap. Uh, and there's a range of things uh, out there. But then you have the problem of hauling. Yeah, we have that same problem. I mean, finding somebody that'll haul it, you know. Yes. But the compost, there's good sources of compost out here, or what I call crude compost you know, or semi-compost. And then, yeah, there's earthworm castings too. Yeah. You know, and there's, you know, there's bark and, uh, you know, there's fish waste. Uh, there's, of course, alfalfa. alfalfa I'm just going to say, that's mine. Is uh, The old name, going back, and I'm old, so it really goes back a long time. But it was referred to at one time as field kill. And uh, it's one of the best uh, the accumulators. And it's cheap. I mean, the organic stuff is under, what, 18 cents a pound? When I get 50 pounds from a farm store, organic, which is getting more and more difficult because a whole bunch of things that went, went on, on on the whole alfalfa segment. But at least you can get non-sprayed, non-GMO. Uh, and it's cheap. I mean, really cheap. So I added my work, but I don't bury it. I don't want to compost. I put it on top. I don't I don't want to lay a, put a layer of alfalfa and then stack if a worm bin 
and then pile material on it because you're going to heat it up. I'm not trying to kill worms. So I found that by just yeah. putting it on to- as top dressing and let the microbes basically be constructed, and then it's going to get pulled down into the material. But that's an incredible range of, what, 83 elements in the right balance? I mean, yeah. for, for cheap money. So. Well, there's a lot you can do. It's just a lot of work. That's that's the only thing. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> but but utilizing what's already out there. I mean, when I think about the things around here in Willamette Valley, I mean, even the city of Salem was coming out with these big vacuum trucks, uh, big semis. You know, I think six thousand gallons, and and they'd spread uh, a sewage sludge mm-hmm. on your land for free. <laughs> you know, it smells for a while. You know, right, right. Uh, yeah, so I mean, there, there's ample wastes. You know, that, that's the heck of it. See, especially in the wood product industry, <clears throat> and uh, so that's where biodynamics comes in, because what you're creating there is a compost, uh, and you can blend. You know, there's lots of ways of blending that, but you're creating something. See, that I didn't really realize it because you're thinking like bags and pounds, you know, bins and bushels. All right. But really what you're doing with biodynamic compost, you know, in, in many cases is you're inoculating the soil. You're inoculating. It's like an inoculant. You start with a starter uh, microbes and you, you, you go through the whole thing. And bottom line, you're inoculating the soil with microbes. Um, and you're adding a whole bunch of, uh, or maybe not so much uh, organic matter. So, you know, once you give the, you got the right microbes and you got something for them to eat, then that's pretty much the, the situation. Like in ancient Hawaii and probably, well, a lot of places, but specifically in Hawaii, I know for sure, uh, their only fertilizer they used because manure was kapu, which means, you know, it's forbidden. Uh, so they didn't, they didn't use manure, <clears throat> um, but they used leaves. So they were using nothing but leaves, uh, which they gather from the trees. They send kids up the trees and pull down the leaves. It's like the kikuyu nut, which is a nitrogen fixing tree that produces these oil nuts. They call, call it candle nut. Mm-hmm. And then uh, mango and whatever, hard leaf. So just using leaves for fertilizer. And then tromping them into the mud with your feet because they have no tools. Uh, and then using pigs to churn it all up after you take a crop, you know. So, doing that for 10,000 years, okay. And then, so a lot of these ancient cultures were using leaves one way or the other in, in some way. Um, either they were harvesting muck from swamps at the end, like in the Maya world when they kind of depleted everything else they were harvesting muck in the swamp for fertilizers but uh, well, uh, I selfishly I'd like your advice and help on something that I, I you said earlier this evening I want to make sure I understood it so my method is to uh, take animal manure usually uh, dairy solids and uh, do a thermophilic you know, just to comply with state advice or regulations, whatever. And then do about an eight to 12 month mesophilic cycle. We're adding 
density, high density materials, you know, and turning all that. So, and then running it through the worm bin. Did I understand you correct that if a person is going through that, that the humic level in that worm casting is going to be at a uh, high, I don't, I don't use the word high, but be at a sustainable rate for the plants? Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, if you use enough. And I knew organic farmers that did use enough. They would uh, grow greens, lettuce, and basil and stuff like that. And then they trim that. And then they have these worm. Well, they have rabbits. They have these rabbit hutches. Yeah. And they'd throw all the trimmings. And then they have the worm beds underneath the rabbit hutch. Yes. Right. And so the rabbit shit's going down there. Right. And the earthworms were in there. Yeah. And actually, I didn't have rabbits, but I, I, I had a similar. Uh, earthworm bed arrangement where I threw all the wastes and, uh, and then you shovel out from the bottom you know and you get this really rich black humus right, right. And that's like some of the best natural fertilizer there is I, you know and it, I've tried to explain again, it but it I've not starts with waste. Term, so, yeah. it starts with waste you know it's just yeah. how you process it through uh rabbits or sheep and worms and uh microbes so it's this whole you know the whole evolutionary but, but in the cannabis really. in the cannabis world see we buy our microbes in a bottle you know we don't we don't want to get our hands dirty we, we just want to go pack up this bottle and as long as it says microbes on yeah. the label and we you know follow the mix and pour recipe then we'll be on our way to uh, dank them you know we'll have a wonderful well, what we're, and... we're doing now is you know the problem with bacteria in a bottle okay it, right. it's not viable you know they'll get a shot from some of the pgrs produced in, yep. in the media but so we we use fungals like right now we're working with uh, a product uh, a, a, an organism called serendipa indica and it, it's a fungus um, that it, the, the world is looking at. The research is being done all over the world on this. I'm looking at a paper right now. It says the free living stage growth conditions of the uh, endophytic fungus serendipid indica may regulate its potential as plant growth promoting microbe. Mm -hmm. So this, is, this particular microbe is of big interest all over the world. It's a, it's a non-obligate endophytic fungus and generally a plant growth and defense promoter with high potential to be used in agriculture. I'm reading from a scientific paper. Sure. Um, yeah. So anyway, this is the one we're working with and we planted a fair amount of crops with it this year on our test farm. And, uh, you know, we're pro providing it in, 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 a, in a base of a peat milled natural hypnum peat along with humic acid see so the idea is no we're not putting it in a bottle <laughs> because yeah, right. fungi drown they drown yeah. in the bottle that's not good you know isn't hypnum so, uh, peat isn't that the one that was like the perfect ph is seven it came out of the yeah. upper midwest yeah. okay thank you exactly well it comes yeah. out of the cascades north cascades okay so it's close it's a close deposit. It's not like far away. Right. So yeah. So so you give it the the fungi home to live in, 
you mm-hmm. know, in the right conditions and stuff like that. So the trick is in the formulation. Mm-hmm. And so ours will be something that we can register and it will be guaranteed. And, and we'll say how many, you know, whatever propagules or whatever they require us to say so that we can maintain quality on it. But th- this is something that the rest of the world knows a lot about, and they don't know right. about anything about it here. And uh, yeah, so we're going to have a bacterial, well, it's a fungal product. It's like I say, bacteria, eh, you know, you can't sort of count on that to happen, you know, uh, the way you want it. Uh, right. but with fungi, you, you kind of can. It's a different ballgame. It's something you can inoculate. Um, it's, it's a very different ballgame entirely. And we can monitor these, these microorganisms, these fungi. We can easily monitor them with DNA uh, PCR mm. magnification because we know what the, we buy the cultures from, from uh, you know, government agencies. Right. And, and they give you the DNA sequence. So you can definitely, you know, rapidly, accurately, you know, identify what you've got. So you know what you've got, and you know what it'll do, and you give it the right place, the right media, and you get that on the ground. And uh, the roots are like a magnet for it. Right. See? Uh, let me ask you and a question they- about, uh, I grow... Uh, Culinary slash medicinal mushrooms, lion's mane, in particular, maitake, uh, what have you. Those uh, fruiting blocks after it's spent, after the, the fruit's been harvested. I've been taking the blocks and busting them up and then mixing that in with thermophilic compost. Do you th- see a benefit there? Well, yeah, there's a lot, you know, there, there's a big story behind all that, actually. I mean, uh, using uh, what we call spent media uh, of uh, uh, what we call uh, white rot fungi. Okay. And so what you end up with is something that's a lot higher in nitrogen or protein uh, than you started with. Um, now, here's what I've done. This is just one, one way of dealing with it. And since we're talking about aquaponics, <laughs> I'll, I'll go into it a little bit. Bottom line, it, once the media has been, you know, uh, utilized by, by mushrooms, you know, you mm-hmm. get the fruiting bodies and all that. Right. The, the, it's converted all the cellulose and all that stuff to sugars, simple sugars, polysaccharides and proteins, amino mm-hmm. acids, really. So that can be, that, that is an excellent fish feed. Okay, uh, you know, like from oyster mushroom or some of these, sure. and that's been work that's been done, and actually I've done it, and and especially for tilapia. So the the spent media can be run through fish, uh, wow, yeah, or cattle for that matter. I mean, just there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that'll eat it, right? Uh, but we found that tilapia really loves it. If you, if you just bust it up and throw it on top of a pond, uh, an aquaculture, you know, where there's tilapia, it, it is like the piranha, you know, they're just tearing it apart at the surface. So, you know, 
that's something you can make a pelleted fish feed out of is see out of cheap local waste material right so you get the mushroom crop first and then you get to mm. then you feed it or yeah or you can just go and add it to the soil and it's going to feed the earthworms so yeah okay it's just uh good uh, it's I saw a benefit, at that point. yeah 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 once it's digested you know something that's not fish can't really eat straw or wood woody wastes or what they call lignocellulosic waste very well but once the fungi take it apart then it's a different ball game see and that's the same thing earthworms or any other critters out there so yeah no that's a very valuable uh soil thank amendment. you appreciate it appreciate it thank you yeah yeah it definitely just, is and, and as far as fish feed it's it's the future you know is fungal biomass conversion uh to produce cheap feeds instead of saying feeding fish well, soybeans and all that kind of stuff see let me run the recipe it's real simple it's i didn't invent this but uh somebody did and it's called the master's mix for growing wood mushrooms and it's uh 50 by volume 50 percent uh hardwood pellets uh and then 50 percent of the soybean husk uh pellets that are used like 82 percent uh cellulose and they feed them to cattle to keep them uh, regular to you know keep their bowel uh, uh digestive system clean so that's what you mix to grow the mushrooms on. So when it's, uh, that's mm -hmm. what the mycelium is growing on. So that's what you're starting with wood and cellulose, which, and then I got corrected by an expert in the weed scene that, that bacteria are the ones that destroy and deconstruct uh, wood. Did you know that? And cellulose, not, not fungi, it's bacteria. So I had it no, all wrong. I didn't know yeah, I know. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You can learn some really yeah. interesting well, things hanging around uh, the cannabis scene. Yeah, so. yeah. well, they got that one a little mixed up. Yeah, do you think? Yeah, yeah. You know. What can you do? Yeah, you so, sit, sometimes you're sitting there going, why am I talking to you? You know, I mean, it's like uh, some of these... Well, uh, see, the soybeans, the oils, they, they love oils. I mean, you use uh, cellulose and then something that's got oils in it, like cottonseed oil, soybean anything you know uh they love they get energy there's that's an inner big energy source is oils to fungi specific fungi that really lights them up you know uh and then this, they can go to town on the cellulose so and that explains that, the, that explains the benefit of neem because you're dealing with omega-3 6 and oh, 9 yeah. yeah okay now i get it thank you yeah it all makes oh, sense boy. fungi okay. love oils the bell went um, off, and now I get it. Okay, and they can convert that to things that are, you know. So that um, explains the mycelia on top of my soil when I use neem. Uh, a few days later, I'll get a, yeah. a nice layer of my. Okay, that makes sense. All right, thank you. Yeah, oil, oil like, like one of my favorite organic fertilizers. You know, if I can get it, well, it would be neem if I had it. You know, because I used to bring in the neem cake. But the other thing is cottonseed meal, uh -huh. uh, like really like cottonseed meal as an organic fertilizer, you know, because it's got the oils, it's got, it's about you know, five, five, 
five something like that or five right. two five 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 two i don't know but uh yeah cotton seed meal is a good one for the same reason <laughs> right right you got the oils and uh mix that with cellulose you got something well but i'll say one thing for sure i, I think that's the, the future did, really uh, the future. i'm sorry go ahead no i was going to say you really did uh organic uh, farmers, agronomists, whatever, uh, a huge favor when you're, you got to a point where you could put it into a big distributor like uh, uh, concentrates. Because if you're in a serious, or like a, a market farmer, what you, we used to call, remember, truck farming? That was the term, and now we use the term market producers, like the Saturday market folks and all that. And if you're growing here in Oregon, that's where you shop. You're shopping at concentrates. You're not going to grocery stores, that's for sure. So, uh, oh, is that the one? Cool. Yeah, this, you, this is. Uh, are you familiar with a software called Mendeley out of England? It's a research tool. Uh, think of it as a, uh, it's called Mendeley, not Mandalay, but with an E, Mendeley. It's open source, it's free, and it searches like JSTOR. And these other repositories of papers and then puts it in a, uh, a list and like it might be worth your time and trouble again it's free there's no money uh for this product it's uh, used by students researchers around the world mendeley is the name of the software so it would fit into yeah. your research yeah. perfectly perfectly I, I get a lot of stuff out of uh, research uh gate Yes. Dot com. Right. And I, I published to that too. So do you remember Skyrus a few years ago? When it was around Skyrus, mm -hmm. it was an acronym. I don't know what it meant, but you didn't get any blogs. You didn't get any, you know, blab sheets from manufacturers. It was strictly peer reviewed, double blind studies, S C I R U S, but it went away. Yeah. It was yeah. partially funded by somebody i don't know usda or somebody and you know how those things are influenced by politics so this guy's out and now we're going to do it and this guy's now in we're not going to do it, that kind of thing so uh i don't know why sky rescinded but that was i you loved i loved that search engine because you didn't get any crap no, nothing from any new companies or yeah well the whole thing is you know, in the world of science, people put stuff out there. And, uh, you know, so if, if you read enough papers on a particular subject, you know, things kind of come out. You know, there, there's, a, um, there's kernels of truth up here, you know, and you get deeper and deeper. Right. And uh, you, you can, you can get, get to it. You can get to it. it, it and, and that's, of course, that's the whole scientific method versus you know uh okay <laughs> you know? so i know a guy who knows a guy who said this is good you know yeah right. Uh, right, right right so my approach is i know a guy and here he is uh, some people in portugal lisbon portugal and brazil uh from major universities and they say that this is uh you know an incredible potential you know and here's the scientific paper the only thing of it is, we don't believe people from Portugal and Brazil. Yeah, no, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. 
uh, was this done at, you know, uh, wherever, you know, U.S. Uh, uh, type ag school, you know, so, so I don't, I don't, you know, to me, it's the world, you know, I'm a citizen of the world and I'm my own soldier. Okay. Right. So if I want the truth, you know, I have it here at my fingertips and I can go out in the world and, 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 and if it's African or Russian or whoever it is, uh, you know, I give them the benefit of the doubt for sure. And there's so much information that, that the, all the answers are there. You know, you read enough papers and you distill it into something. You know, they spent millions and a lot of hours and efforts. And I read the papers and then I, I get something. I do something with it. And that's what we've done with this serendipita. <clears throat> so, well, you know, okay, they did all the base work. Okay, well, we're introducing it to the marketplace. We're producing. <laughs> See? Now, but I didn't will you have this product in here? These people share the research with me. You know, see, see, there's that's a different dynamic than the industrial model where you want to tie sure. stuff up and patch. Sure, right. you know, it's operating spaceship Earth the way it should yeah. be operated. You know, and that's the other part. You know, I mean, we operate spaceship Earth. It's, it's like a free for all. You know, uh, yeah. uh, an insane free for all for gold. You know, I mean, as a pilot, you know, for a long time. I, I kind of see things like that. I mean, you know, operating an aircraft, it's all these different systems that you have to, that have to interact, you know, and it, it's no bullshit and around either. I mean, it's like uh, you, you can't uh, violate the rules of physics, you know, that, that's something you don't, you, you're not going to get away with. So it's the real deal, you know, uh, life and death. And right. it's a, you run it with a system, you have a crew, you have a captain, you, you make rational decisions. You, you you do careful analysis, but the planet Earth is like a free for all. <laughs> Let's make weapons, and I'm going to you know take over your shit so I can have the glory. So we're not really operating it the way it should be operated. Right. Is the point? No. The the question is how could that happen? How could <laughs> good good question? I just saw YouTube last night about. The, the future of robotics and how within by 2035 or 2040 uh, robots can be self-replicating. Yes. I read that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might be, it might be beneficial. And they're going to be rational. They will be yeah, rational. Yeah, exactly. They're, exactly. They're out for yeah. their own interest. They're not playing all these power trip games, uh, you know, and all this other stuff. So Here's if that ever came true, <laughs> Here's my favorite in the weed. In, in I the solved weed the problem. Uh, Robots don't need food. In, in the weed scene, they actually believe this sincerely. They, they, they'll fall on their sword arguing it that they can control and manipulate the production of terpenes, terpenoids, and ketones through fertilizers. I mean, it just shows a complete in total lack of understanding of the role of terpenes and terpenoids. I want lemon, okay? So you want lemon, that's great. All right, and I can do this because I use this bottle here. Oh, well, what if I want chocolate flavors? Oh, well, you gotta get this bottle over here. And it's so absurd. Uh, 
refused to look at Chenoweth's work, you know, just refused to look at it. And this guy is a, you know, heads up one of the largest research centers in Israel. Full PhD. That doesn't matter. No, 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 no. I got this stuff from the grocery store right here. It's going to give me my my terps. It's insane. And then, We've talked about that quite at length. In fact, that was one of the things that we really bonded over the first time we talked together on a, on Fumi's show. I think it was was how it's the microbial diversity of your root zone and your plant tissue that, that increases your terpene expression because terpenes are an expression of the plant's immune system and the plant's response to the environment. That's exactly. how you, there's no magic, exactly. there's no, no. product, no. there's no bottle. No. It's, it's what environment is that plant exposed to? What microbes is that plant exposed to? External, you use the phrase and uh, more accurate than I, or, what I could come up with, and you said it was external forces or stimuli, and that's spot on. I mean, an insect can land on a plant leaf, and the plant within 15 minutes can convert terpene A into terpene B because that's what's needed. It's it's a, a fluid. It isn't like okay, we made our uh, pining, so now we're going to go to sleep. I mean, that's the that's the mentality of the weed grower. Well, I you know, I, if I just get that pining, I'll get that you know that lemon thing going on. It's absurd. I mean, just absurd. And uh, I wanted to also welcome Chad Westport to the to the show as well. Thanks a lot for joining us, Chad. He's a yeah a big proponent of education and cannabis as well. No worries, man. My pleasure. Uh, thank you for the invite. And thank you, you know, for coming on and dropping some knowledge with me as well. Teach, teach me a little bit about the aquaponics. Um, I just want to jump in here real quick. You know, this is probably going to raise some hairs on the back of the neck, but there's always that, that classic um, terpenator. Now, we know that that was pretty much phosphorus. How do, how do you guys picture phosphorus playing in the role of terpene production? Can I address... I've done a lot of work at bad mouthing terpenated for one reason. I read the label. What's in it? Oh, it's sulfate of potash. Yeah. Gee, that's a standard agricultural product that's about 12 bucks for 50 pounds. How did we get to $80 a gallon? That's 92%, excuse me, 99% water. If you want to use terpenated, go get a bag of sulfate of potash. Mix it with the water, according to whatever. They're, they're the ones who filed the MSDS, not me. I didn't file it. They did. And, and how do you justify, how can you possibly justify $80 a gallon or whatever the crap costs when I can get a 50-pound bag of it for 12 bucks? And if I bought two of them, I might get it down to 10 you know, Right. That kind of thing. And actually, I meant to say sulfur there. I said phosphorus. I meant sulfur. Um, yeah. Oh, no, that's the activation. <laughs> I promise you. It isn't the uh, soluble potash. It's the sulfur, the sulfate. But try to explain that to Joe Stoner. Sulfur, that's the stuff we burn to kill uh, fungus in our rooms, isn't it? Right. Well, because there, there are, there's so many, you know, there's so many, um, things that we do to stress the pan. And, you know, I do not know the terpene synthase genes. Uh, I don't know their functions. I don't know the modality of how they work. Um, but I do know that terpenes in nature, cannabis and any other plant can sometimes be defenses, defense mechanisms. They are. So by potentially stressing them or even sulfur as an agent of IPM, would that potentially somehow trigger 
one of these synthase genes inside of the plants. I'm speculating oh, here, by the okay, way. Okay, <laughs> terpenes and terpenoids and ketones provide a wide range of things. They're pollinator attractors. They're po pollinator, uh, not pollinator, uh, insect repellents. There's a whole bunch of things. It's biology. It's working. The, the, the plant is producing these uh, very simple, really start looking at them in terms of their molecular structure and formula. You know, and uh, when you tell people, well, you know, THC, really take a look at it. Now, I'm going to get this backwards, so, but it doesn't really matter. Terpenes and terpenoids, let's just do that one. One of them has an oxygen component and the other one doesn't. The other one's a carbon and hydrogen. But I don't remember. But even I've seen botanists get them mixed up. So it's kind of like you can't really hang your hat on this is a terpene. I guess you can, but I'm just saying that a lot of uh, there's a lot of. Uh, give and take in the in the, in the uh, botany world, world of botany. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's some of the things that, that plants produce standard is uh, camphor. Do you think you want to explain that to a weed grower? That this one has camphor? No, it doesn't. Well, yes, it does. You know? Not at an easily detectable level for us, but it would I be I don't there. know, but yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I mean, in my view, going back to, I started smoking in 53 years ago, 54 years ago, the imports were good because they hadn't been screwed with. Okay, so there's this range of flavors, like in a tie, a real tie stick, not something grown over in uh, Billy Goat Acres here. Well, I think it came from Thai. I'm not sure. It could be. Uh, you sure it's not Cambodian? Oh, no, not really. So anyway, you get into that whole, uh, you know, it just annoys me uh, because, it, you know, talking people into using this because it's going to give you this result in the, in the flavor. If that were the case, how come we can't produce a tomato that tastes like a tomato using chemicals? Hothouse, hothouse tomatoes? And here's my analogy on that one. If you look at all the fruits and vegetables, excuse me, all the vegetables that are grown in hothouse conditions, you got five. You got your tomatoes, which don't taste like tomatoes. You've got those horrible uh, bell peppers, the, the, the red and the yellow and the orange that don't taste like that. You've got the uh, uh, English cukes, the ones wrapped in plastic. And then, uh, butter leaf because they've got to set up robotic that that head of lettuce never touches human hands until the purchaser buys it and pulls the lid off so what's common among all those items well they're going to be covered with fat and salt and sugar condiments and sandwiches does it matter whether you can taste the tomato on your uh, big mac no does it matter that you can't taste the peppers, because you cooked it in a, a tomato sauce to make some form of uh, tie-in. No. So you don't have to have them taste good. They're there for the color. And in the produce department, that's where I came out of. I know this industry back and forth. All that stuff in, the, in that store, five items dominate 80% of your sales. So when you, as a produce manager, bring in a box of radicchio, you don't intend to sell it. You use it to, for color breaks. 
the habanero chilies. You buy it, they come in a 10 pound box. You're going to throw 9.7 pounds away. That's a, that's just a given. It's there for the visuals. And you got the special lighting of light bulbs and, and color spectrums to, to really make that stuff pop. And here's one of the sad, saddest parts of the whole produce industry. To this day, in 2021, iceberg lettuce is the main form of lettuce sold at the retail level. As hard as that is to imagine. It's, I mean, it's, it's a wild shame how visual we are as shoppers, um, because yep. as we all know here, that speaks nothing to the nutritional content of the, of the item that there you're you picking go. up, which really is the, you know, what we're after. Um, I did an agriculture program up in Washington, and one of the main produce distributors in the state is a place called Charlie's Produce. And oh, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So it was awesome. Uh, as, as, you know, like a field trip, we went to the main shipping storage warehouse that's in downtown mm -hmm. Seattle. Um, mind blowing how much yeah. stuff is in there. Uh, yeah. But again, it's to, to, to your point. Yeah, it's it's sitting and looking pretty in the uh, vegetable section of the grocery store. Right. I came out of. Uh, in fact, Charlie's is one of our customers. Oh, cool. And we sold uh, $2 million a week in produce between Seattle and Portland. Wow. And uh, my responsibility was getting the uh, independent contract truckers under the loads. Mm -hmm. The buyers would hand me the POs. I'd put the loads together, this many pallets on a trailer, you know, chimney block them and going through that whole thing. And yeah, it's just, it's a numbers game. Numbers, numbers, numbers. And uh but one, okay, the most profitable produce item, in fact, in most big chains, grocery store chains, bananas. Bananas are set up in a separate, wholly owned subsidiary for tax purposes. There's that much money in it. And uh, what it takes to get that banana to you, the customer ready, they come in green, you put them in uh, pressurized uh, ripening rooms with ethylene gas. You crank up the gas, you bring it up to the color, and then you move them out to the stores. And the stores order, well, I want a number three yellow, a number four, whatever their, their setup is. Those ripening rooms are 100 grand. Well, now they're more than that, but 150 grand a pop. And you better have, if you want to be serious, you better have 30 to 40 of them because you're running that many bananas. Uh, each room will hold one uh truckload which is at uh, 1080 cases and each case is 40 pounds so you just get an idea i mean i used to bring in uh anywhere between 20 and 30 loads a week just bananas so wow that's the money that's where the money is. there's no money in selling uh kumquats and uh you know uh yeah, there's uh, there's no margins for farmers in the first place no and that's what we've done to cannabis and in my youth, who made the money? The son of a bitch that grew it. Now it's the, the distributor, the dispensary, and the growers are sitting there scrambling. They should be the one getting the when in any agriculture, that's where the money should go, should be to the producer. Yeah. And not Kroger, my opinion. We might have a chance at some real food. Anyway. 
I'm an organic terrorist when it comes to produce. I've, I've handled the, the conventional, the transitional, and the, and the uh, certified organic. And uh, there's a di- why is it that when we grow tomatoes in our garden, we go out and we want to find heirloom tomatoes, right? They're not pretty. They got wrinkles on them. They're not perfect. But when we go, the average customer goes into a grocery store, they want that, like it was done photocopy. Every yeah. tomato looks the same. Conditioning. That's conditioning. There you go. Uh, I had a question for Dr. Faust. Um, which of the, the different products that you worked with as far as humic and fulvic and, and the silica products and other things, which ones are important kind of at that point of germination and then shortly thereafter? Because there's a lot of debate as to what shouldn't should be used early on as far as ensuring that the plant gets proper expression of different things. And I know you know a lot about that particular topic. It's something I was really wanting to ask you about. Um, well, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we start out with treating the seed you know, with a very dilute, uh, like one to 200, one to 100 full power. Uh, and that's the fulvic because that sets the, the stage, you know, that's first cell division and uh, you, you can actually enhance, you know, it all, it all happens in that first cell division, a lot of it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so, yeah, so that's crucial. I do other things too. Like I use magnetic treatment, I'll tell you some of my secrets, but that, that's not real secret. There's been a lot of research done on that um, in a lot of different seeds. <clears throat> the enhancing uh, with, with magnetic, uh, fairly low magnetic uh, energy along with fulvic acid. <clears throat> so that's, that's generally what I do. So that's always the first step, you know? And then, uh, yeah, and then plants don't need like a whole bunch of fertilizer early on. You know, all you do is increase the salt content, you know, the conductivity, and it just, it just inhibits growth, you know? Uh, it's like feeding a man all he can eat on Sunday, and then you got to wait till next Sunday to get your next meal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really work that way, you know. The plant just needs a little bite every day. You know, you you, you, you don't force feed it. <laughs> you know. Anyway, so yeah, so the the research we did, which we published uh, on the hemp, anyway, I have that screen up right now that we found that uh, that if we went, well, we had different sequences, you know, of fulvic long, fulvic short, humic long, humic short. Um, so we d- different uh, concentrations, we kind of, kind of knew what concentration were. So then it was a matter of, well, like what stages of growth? So um, the results, you, you could actually, kind of uh, control what the levels of THC and CBD were going to be. I mean, you could, you could affect the, that direction. You could, by how, how the timing was done. Now, this, there's other fertilizers involved, too, in this situation. But bottom line, you, you could either increase THC or decrease THC. You could increase CBD. You know? Um, yeah. So you can manipulate what's going on in terms of, and, and this is also includes terpenes and a whole range of things, uh, by w- what you're doing. Matter of fact, here's a screen. If you want to share this screen, it's work, it's work we did 
with cannabis and a lot of other plants you using should, uh you should be able to just hit share screen yeah let me see share screen okay i would love for you to tell us more about increasing and decreasing thc and cbd it's something that i would love to, to learn more about yeah well that's it and and bottom line is if you're using see the way humic acid works is a foliar and and also fulvic to a certain extent to a big extent it's really really well known that it decreases abiotic stress so that's like too hot too cold too dry not enough fertilizer okay so that that's the proven benefits in greenhouses and and really out in fields too of fulvic acid no controversy there if you got fulvic acid it really is fulvic acid that's what it does it relieves stress abiotic stress okay well it turns out that that's great because if you want to grow cbd and you have to be below 0.03 percent thc because we found that if you go all season with with humic or fulvic you know you're reducing stress see so it, what ends up happening is that that affects that reduces thc because thc is born of stress it it's the effect of abscisic acid which is a stress hormone and if you reduce stress on the crop it's it's going to it's not going to produce as much thc uh, so you know uh, running out of nutrients towards the end is the ideal you know, and, and uh, reduced uh, soil moisture stress factors. And then my latest experiments is with using, um, blasting it with like a red, red spectrum, you know, uh, uh, ultraviolet mm. uh, out of LEDs, <laughs> right? See, because I'm trying to duplicate Hawaii and Jamaica, you know? <laughs> so uh, that's great. I'm going to use uh, some really intense yeah. light, see? So that's a stressor, you know, yeah. like in Hawaii, we grow under shade cloth because the sun's just too goddamn intense. The UV is a, is a stressor. You get better yield under uh, shade, right? But anyway, so anything that stresses the plant, you, you, you can, you know, you, you get to a, a much higher THC. I can tell you that. Uh, and we used to kind of believe that it was like a story, you know, like, well, yeah, you stress it. But now we know it's true, at least I do, based on science and our own research and paper I published. Uh, so uh, so it's, it's knowing that sequence of what, what you're trying to do. You're trying to increase. Now, now what we, we stop mid-season or what we call fulvic short or humic short, um, we, had, we, we had way higher yield than the control. And we also had uh, the high THC. So, you know, so depending on whether you're growing for CBD or THC is how you will, it, it, you know, how long you use this um, products that are stress relievers, <clears throat> you know, so, um, but that's basically the bottom line on that one. Um, and then you can see, on the slide here too, this is work we did with, this is early on, see what works early on, what works late on uh, is amino acids. So this is using our new product called Nitromino, 
which is a nitrogen amino acid, it's 12%. So that could be a little biased, but, but the plants of the grower standard on the left here uh, were like, oh, that's the perfect shit, you know, oh yeah, you know, that's one of these, you know, the, what they're, they're doing, you know, I'm not going to like go into like what it is. It, it may be in the paper part, but, but the point of it is, this is the growth standard. This is using nitro amino. They need the aminos to make these terpenes and to, and to fabricate the, the chemistry and providing a slow release nitrogen. Uh, cannabis is not a salt loving plant. It's a humus loving plant. And it wants is nitrogen in the form of amino acids, not nitrates or ammonia for that matter. So, you know, that's, this is the next thing is, is gonna be using uh, the aminos. And we use them as a foliar too. It makes the fulvic uh, with the amino, it's very water soluble. And then we use that as a foliar and as a triggering effect at flowering and cannabis. You know, so yeah. One of your big distributors, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. One of your distributors that uh, sells to the cannabis trade is uh, Build a Soil, uh, Jeremy Silva. And he developed that company based on my writings starting about 10 years ago. And one night I asked him, I said, because he asked the same questions a lot, you know. So finally one night I said, don't you ever yeah. take notes on this stuff? As a matter of fact, he did. And then he, uh, now he has the largest uh, organic supply deal for the cannabis you know, thing online. And using, that doesn't mean I agree with everything that he does. I'm just saying that there's a lot of science that goes into the products that he sells. And uh, when he told me that he was going to be a uh, distributor for your products, I, I thought to myself, well, you know, he's on the road now. And so he uh, found other products that I, I wasn't familiar with and might not even use, but that was at the core was the uh, bioag uh, products and people that have used your products as described and explained have done really well, very well. And I'm really excited about yeah. the other products that I haven't tried yet, the silica and the other two, two or three that you mentioned, I'll get yeah. on the, in order yeah, these tomorrow. So. And this is all new stuff, like our nitro amino. This is totally new stuff and new research. Right. Here's one that we did with White Widow. This was one of our uh, mm -hmm. cl clients, one of our customers, I guess. But what it shows here is kind of interesting. Uh, the grower standard, oh, the old grower standard, uh, yeah. Uh, and then we're using uh, our full power, uh, and then we're testing for increase nutrient uptake. Like mm. In this case, it's nitrogen, so it's a hundred percent increase uptake with the full power and uh, the grower standard versus grower standard with full power. So it's really, you know, allows you know, the plant to utilize that. So it doesn't right. just go down the drain right. online, you know, the, you know and, and then here, what's this one? Uh, potash, you know, 59% increase over grower standard. I guess that's why people love our product. Yes. But, but th th 
but this, you know, they don't necessarily know <clears throat> why, but I mean, this is one of the reasons is, is they're getting more out of, you know, what they've already, whether it's a field, you know, regular crop farmer or whatever it is, uh, you, you, you know, you're getting more bang for your, you're getting more out of your fertilizer, you know, is, is not going down the drain right. as much. <laughs> yeah. And how, how is the uptake measured or quantified in this scenario? Is it through sap analysis or is it just in volume that it receives? Sorry for not no, having read be, it. Yeah, no, it'd be full, it'd be full leaf analysis. Okay. Awesome. Using, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it's pretty common, you know, uh, in, in agricultural business to do leaf or petiole analysis or, or sap analysis, things like that. Sure. It's, it's but almost we are... routine. So this is sort of routine testing uh, yeah. or leaf analysis. A lot of routine uh, standards in agriculture don't always follow over into cannabis. <laughs> so I always want right. to ask, granted the company yeah. that I'm speaking with, uh, I have full faith in it, but you yeah. know, as, as that uh, objective voice, I always like to try to ask those questions because some people don't know. Again, we're, we're talking cannabis here. All right. It's special. Yeah. Well, it has to be different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to me, it's just another crop. I mean, my, uh, you know, like I was talking about, my ancestors were growing it in the 1730s outside yeah. of Philadelphia. So it's not really uh, something new to us that much. Um, but uh, yeah, so to me, it's just another crop. And I'm a, I'm a crop consultant and agronomist and, and you know, big stuff, uh, yeah. all kind of everything, you know, you name it. And uh so that's that's the perspective I'm coming from. So I just use those techniques that we use in you know regular specialty crop agriculture applied to hemp or cannabis because to me it's just another crop. Yeah. And and so you know there's ways to get at how to you know make yeah. a better crop. You and I, Doctor Foster, have an age that we were lucky enough to smoke imports. Now was that the best? Well, that's product? another thing. Yeah, that's, you know, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I yeah. promise you, you did a tie oh, stick from uh, Oh, I knew I had one on terpenes. I knew I had a terpene slide. There it is. Yeah. Uh, so more terps, bigger buds. Hmm. That's right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's what we're trying to do in strawberries, blueberries, you name it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same game, right? Yeah. You know, uh, to me, yeah. you know, I was a coffee grower avocado grower in Hawaii and, you know, and, and other things. Uh, you probably don't remember are... this, but the day that I called many years ago and I asked you about me and before you answered it, you said, you know, you're talking to me and you said, you're the first person that's ever asked me about me that, you know, wasn't a, a commercial farmer because you'd come out, uh, was introduced to it or whatever, became familiar with it when your time in Hawaii is heading up the biodynamic group there. And so that really gave me a lot of confidence that I was on the right track because I'd already known your products. And then when you said, yeah, Neem, and you were like almost animated that finally got to talk to somebody that wasn't yeah. carrying around a it bag of bullshit great. about what Neem is or, you know. What it's it lonely. It's a lonely world in the Neem world. I got introduced to it from a there. book. Uh, yeah. 
a book called Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. And in the book, he talks about returning to India. And on that trip, he went to see the Mahatma, uh, Mahatma Gandhi. And every morning when Mahatma would get up, he would eat two uh, fresh leaves from his neem tree in his patio. And as, as a way of reminding him spiritually that life is a balance of sweet and bitter and there's nothing more bitter but very few plant materials are as bitter as neem uh leaves so yeah, it was uh, bitter. bitters are good right. bitters are, are are you know universal medicines all over the world sure like down jamaica they have something in belize they have something they call jackass bitters you know and and that's that's the potent medicine but i just happened to have this in front of me but th this thing i don't know they have me on the screen now Whoa. uh th this is a ayurvedic herb it's two in combination andrographis remember that name andrographis because it could save your life it could save your life this this is uh an ayurvedic herb it's a plant it's called the the mother of bitter or the queen of bitter, right? Okay, so the research in Thailand and in, in Asia, India, this is a cure for COVID, okay? I mean, they did massive trials. Uh, they're, they're producing it in the prison system in Thailand. And they did massive trials with thousands of people. But it's actually the, uh, this andrographis, which is the Ayurvedic formula, is has been used for thousands of years. It's like, you know, it's the go-to thing for for plague and flu and upper respiratory. Right there, it is. And uh, you, can, I bought it at, at a vitamin store in Corvallis. You know, Andrographis. Of course, they can't claim. You know, right. that it does any. All right. But if you read the research, you will see what this does. But again, neem is the same thing. I have neem leaf capsules too. I have neem. Right. And, and, and they have uh, like their own effects. But this particular one is a good one to stock up on. Because this one actually is the cure for not just COVID, but other, other uh, viral infections. Well, you know, in in uh, the Ayurvedic medical system, a huge percentage of the uh, preparations include some part of the neem tree, the brute, the bark, leaves, the uh, yeah. the current, the kernel, the meal that's left over after you press the oil. So it's amazing how integrated uh, that tree. In fact, in one of the uh, languages, I think it's Puli, the name for the neem tree literally translates into village uh, pharmacy. And almost every culture that the neem tree moved to by way of India, it became the holy plant, regardless of whether it was Islam, Hindu, Jains, or whatever. So it had that much influence on the subcontinent, on various cultures. So, but now it's a yeah, every, every every culture, every culture has because you can't grow neem trees everywhere. That that's like you're yeah. talking 15 degrees north and south latitude. Right. You know, it, it's like coffee. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's you're not gonna. So every area in, in the world had had their own bitters. Yes, you know, that had this the similar effect. Right, uh, whole range. Like you know, you heard of bitterroot, the bitterroot mountains, and right, right, Montana. Well, right, it's named after the bitterroot, which is what the 
Native American tonic and anti-cancer, by the way. I know a guy that got thrown in prison for, for making a salve out of bitterroot and, and curing people's skin cancer. Mm -hmm. He ended up in a federal prison over that. Now he's living in Ecuador. There's a website, a companion website to a book. There's a companion website to a book of the same name called Meme Research. Ca, which is Canada. He's actually Punjabi, but he lives in Canada. And, and this book is, has nothing to do with agronomy, strictly the medicinal benefits and uses of neem, oral health, uh, diabetes, uh, blood purification. And yet you get into the cannabis and somebody wants to sell you a, a something and all of a sudden this stuff is poison and you're risking, you know, your ability to reproduce or whatever, whatever the latest scam is. Might be uh, good. Well, in some cases I, I can point out some parts of the United States that I would want to, I'd, I'd pay to have the trees planted. If that's what it did was limit reproduction. But uh, I mean, it's just, uh, it's a, one of the, the most closed minded environments to try to work in because there's so much uh silliness it's not science it's just bullshit and um well that's yeah. what they're exposed to i mean uh, yeah you know that's what they're they're molded they're molded and and uh you know uh indoctrinated and uh and that's how it is unless they get some alternative uh you know, approach to, to reality and consciousness. And yeah. that's where mushrooms come in. <laughs> yes. But, yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm a yeah, microdoser. I'm, I'm on my I'm going to my fourth year now microdosing. So I I can speak to its ability to move people's lives forward in very positive ways. You know, uh, we can't we can't change old timers either. I mean Forget trying to like convince some these these farmers, these old timers. No. The hope is in in youth. Yes, youth stem. Yes. You know, you got to give them like uh, something, you know, to hold on to and believe in in the in the right information. You know, weren't you in Ecuador the... working with the poor oh. at one time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've been yeah. looking at moving to uh, Ecuador. And so, in uh, uh, view of yeah, that, we do I, business I, there. Yeah, I we bought sell some our uh, spores. I bought some spores from uh, Ecuador. Just I wanted to get in the you know the Andy, the whole Andean thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. well, what a nice yeah. mushroom! Uh, yeah, and I also got some from Honduras. Now, here's this goofiest thing in the world: you can buy spores; it's illegal. You can sell spores. It's in legal. Oregon, it is. There's only everywhere. three. Yeah, there's only three states that's not legal: Georgia, yeah. which makes sense; yeah, Utah, that, makes sense. that really makes sense. But the yeah. one that doesn't is yeah. California. Yeah, yeah that is like, kind of that's the goofy. Except one. Oakland, if you're in Oakland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that, have, uh, now that we have, uh, you know, we voted in the right to. Uh, Research, it didn't make it legal, but at least research is now being allowed under Oregon law. And uh, there's some really interesting uh, help groups where they're trying to help patients because they're not, I don't see how you monetize um, 
magic mushrooms. I'm sure somebody well, will try uh, to do it, you know. Well, regulatory capture. That's yeah, how you well, do everything. Yeah. When you put yeah. them into a vapor cart. Yeah. That's how you're going to do it. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is, you know, that, that's the whole plan of the mushrooms. I mean, different fungi, you know, have effect on, on organisms, you know, m behavior. I can, yeah. I can go into this. It's incredibly amazing. Okay. You know, uh, it, it just blow your mind. Like some mm -hmm. of these, uh, these, these, these interactions between fungi and mammals and controlling their behavior to foster the fungi. Okay. So it's, it's, eventually everybody will be able to grow them in their backyard. I mean, there's, there's, it's like a bludgeoning industry, you know, but the spores, the growing, you know, yes. it, it's something yes. that is immune from, uh, I don't know, control. You know, yes. Why. That was what I, I mean, was trying something. to say. Yeah. 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 It's going to be real hard to monetize it, you know? Yeah. And it's winning. It's winning. Yeah from the days, I mean, I, I took my first dose of uh, a bunch of different psychedelics it was when I was in the university and it happens to be a university that's really into organic chemistry. Right. <laughs> and so there's a lot of chemists, right? University my first, of Delaware. My first and, mushrooms and it was were- legal. Uh... It was legal at that point. So it was legal yeah. for a few years, see? And then they cut it and Nixon. Yeah. Nixon I... came. Don't change dicks in the middle of a screw. Re-elect Nixon in 72. And he was from yeah. California, by the way. Nixon was from right. yeah, California. Whittier. Whittier, California. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. There, there's the part of California that, yeah. So I've got 54 years of taking, of uh, using mushrooms. Uh, Summer of Love 68 was the first. Uh, I would not say that because I had done LSD, but. Uh, or whatever it was called. I'm not sure about that. Some of it was ALD 52 when, when the guys went to trial. Um, yeah, so I've had a long, but, and I will say this, almost every mushroom I took for the first 50 years was horrible. It wasn't dried correctly. It was wet. It was, you know, slimy. Until you, it's, until you grow your own, correctly dehydrate it and store it, you really haven't had, you know, the real deal because the stuff you get in the black market, I don't like that term, but stuff you get on the street or whatever the term is really pretty rough you know, for the most part. You know, it's like, get it out the door. I want my money kind of thing, you know, kind of like weed in the early days. Cure. What do you mean cure? I dried it. Oh, good. Now it works. Well, you should see the ones they sell. The mushroom tea stands on the beach at Negril, Jamaica, uh, where, yeah. Where, where yeah, where they have a pot with the firewood. It's like a witch's cauldron, yeah, and a, a pile of uh, black kind of slimy mushrooms. They like, scare the hell out of you. you know? Yeah, and then they sell you know they sell you a cup of mushroom tea, and it's it's one of the few places in the world where where it's legal. Yeah, it, it has been forever in Jamaica. And, uh, you, know, it, you know, you talk about, you know, it, it kind of scares you the way they, you know, you see their preparation methods down there, you know. I've had but some uh, people, sports from Americans Thailand. Are or, down there. Yeah. 
they're setting up a cannabis retreat, cannabis, uh, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. Um, you know, I was going to say healing center, but that's not really right. But like, um, you know, mushroom psilocybin retreat um, situations, which is what we're going to have here in Oregon, supposedly. But uh, yeah. <laughs> But here it'll be so controlled. I guarantee you it won't be moldy uh, and it'll be tested. Yeah. It'll be, yeah. Oh, they're gonna, it's going to cost big bucks by the time you're done. You know, like, yeah, that's what it's going to be. And anybody can grow mushrooms. This isn't required. Well, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, it's tricky. I mean, it's right on right, our level. Right. It's, uh, Sure, it's just like it's cookbook in a way, you know. Yeah, you just have to know the formula, right? It, a B C D. Yeah, like, follow the a lot of things. Yeah. A lot of things I that I do, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's that's the best hope, but it it's here to you know kind of modify our you know uh, our behavior. And of course, it, it's working because it fosters, you know, people growing it, right, and helping it complete its life cycle. So it's a symbiosis. You know, we're helping it. We're spreading it all over the world. <laughs> it's spores. You know, it's doing mm -hmm. its job, just like toxoplasmosis in cats. No, in some uh, countries, some Western European countries, you can buy spores on Amazon. It's legal oh, to yeah. buy them. Yeah, England, uh, not England, but uh, Germany, I know. And anyway, there's several European countries that their Amazon branch can legally sell you liquid, whatever, uh, spore prints, liquid culture, syringes, what have you. Like, that's amazing. To me. Well, the thing of it is, you, you can come out where I am at right now at the foothills of the front, uh, coastal range. Yeah. And you can find some of the most potent uh, types free. Yeah. yeah. They have the uh, psilocybin cyanescence out here, grows in wood chips. Right. One of the most potent ones. Right. And like there's, there's five or six uh, that, are, that are, you know, they, they grow here if you look. You know, if you know what to look for, uh, and, uh, and then then you get your spore print, and you get a culture right. of a a mushroom, psilocybin mushroom that's adapted to Oregon, right, right, and you actually grow them outside. Or and inside. in Southern Oregon, liberties are very very common. Liberty, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it's like, cap. yeah, and they're yeah. Sub enchiladas, something. Yeah. 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 So that's that's one of them out here. You know, I like and, it. Uh, I like to use it to, re uh, to uh, relieve psychic boredom every few months. I mean, I do microdose. I only do a gram a day, excuse me, 0. 0.2 grams, a gram a week, uh, five days at 0. 0.2, and then take two days off and then stack it with uh, two grams of uh, lion's mane. And uh, Paul Stamets' uh, protocols is uh, widely described. So that was another reason I got into growing the lion's mane was to have a, a pure source of that material 
to go along with the uh, uh, psilocybe uh, microdose. So it's very effective for treating anxiety, depression, addictions, uh, some nerve damage, uh, diabetes, uh, neuropathy in your feet, what have you, rebuild some of the, uh, that's where the lion's mane comes in, especially to uh, repair uh, both uh, brain cells as well as uh, nerve ending. So there's a lot of healing potential and Nixon's uh, bullshit schedule one kept that research at bay for 50 years. And we now are the first state at a statewide level to allow for that research to move forward, fortunately. And there's some really good yeah. group, you know, well, It will. You see, you see the, the fungal symbiont, you know, uh, got, you know, worked. I mean, other, obviously these legislature, let us legislatures and people behind the, especially behind the referendum. Right. Were affected. In other words, the fungi, psilocybin, mushroom, uh, modified their behavior to mm -hmm. foster the, the, the psilocybin mushroom. Right. You know, ju just like uh, it, it fosters, you know, fungi foster animals to, to practically commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Be their host for the fungi. <laughs> So yeah, I mean it's 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 actually hard to, to even imagine the power of of something like that. Yes. A low, so supposedly a lower life form can actually affect behavior in right. higher 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 organisms, higher species. Well, so that's look, that's a big yeah. mystery. Mystery. So, I mean, I, I would listen to Terence McKenna talk about these things. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. We're only uh, one heroic trip away from enlightenment, you know. So, and, uh, so it, it's, sure it's, it's that, a gradual yeah. process. It's a gradual yeah. process. Yeah. It's not, it's not like, it's not, in, you know, instant. It's uh, generational, you know. So there'll be changes if we survive that long. I mean, <laughs> you know, if the whole thing doesn't just start falling apart, you know, yeah. which it is already, but. Uh, you know, but we'll I see. won't be we'll here. I had a good life. Technology good pulls life, us yeah. out of the fire. You know. <laughs> We're going to Mars, guys. Yeah. Really going to need some humic acid for that one. No, they well, actually I'm going to be on your, be on your website tomorrow do. ordering these new products because uh, I don't think they have them to concentrate yet. I was just there last week. Well, they, yeah, they should. You should encourage okay. them to get okay. them. Oh, yeah, I will. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of their Good. more popular customers over there because of the amount of business I brought to them. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that's how you really get these people to carry stuff is, you know. Yeah. They see some demand. They see, like, interest. Yeah. And uh, that's that's what makes stuff expensive is you have to, you know, you know, it's, it's very expensive to educate the public. I, I knew I made it, Dr. Foss, when I went there a few years ago, and one of the uh, customer service people, I told him who I was, and he pulled out this laminated piece of paper, and it had Coots Mix on it, and it had the recipe, because people would come in, well, what's in the Coots Mix, and they could pull it out of their pocket, and they just walk up to the warehouse and go, you need a bag of this, a bag of that, a bale of this, a bale of that, and it became like a, kind of a running 
not a joke, but a, a point of humor. And I said, let me see your card. You know, let me see your uh, Coots uh, mixed card. Make sure you got it up to date. So, yeah. I've really enjoyed working with them over the years. They've really been a good uh, friend to the organic, uh, well, the organic farm and not just cannabis, but the uh, organic agronomy in general. They've been a good friend and a good supplier. So, good stuff for sure. What, uh, do you have any advice, Dr. Faust, as far as chitinase sources? I know. Uh, Coot is a huge proponent of chitinase from uh, fermented barley. Um, is there anything that you recommend? Well, you know, uh, yeah, we, we have a lot of different things. I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, there's just so many of these fish products out there. I mean, matter of fact, you know, I, I was involved with a guy who, you know, it was taking our, some of our humics and mixing them with this uh, crab waste mm -hmm. up here in Washington. Yeah. And yeah. I think composting it. Mm -hmm. So he'd take our, our humate, our raw humate, not our soluble. And then he was combining it with, um, uh, or was that somebody else? But anyway, they were composting. Uh, uh, it was the crab waste, I believe, high in chitin, you know, breaking it down by, you know, composting it with humic acid and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So that would be a good, definitely, you know, you could afford to put enough on to do some good. You know, that's the, see, that's the other part, putting on enough to do some good. See, so a lot of these organic fertilizers, you know, they're not using, of course, I'm thinking more in terms of large scale farming. Um, but, um, yeah, so on a, on a field or on a farm, you know, to put on enough that's going to do you some good is going to really cost you, mm. see? So how about some composted crab waste? I mean, I'm talking about, you know, uh, as an organic farmer, if I was an organic farmer, uh, if I was, especially uh, crops or whatever, you know, I'd want to put on enough to do some good. So I'd, I'd get some of that stuff, <laughs> come to think of it. Matter of fact, I had, they gave me some. That's right. But up here, in, uh, I forget where, I even forget the name of the company, which is terrible. They should forget that. It wasn't a CPAR, anyway. was it? Uh, it could have been. Yeah. You know, like anything, though, if there's a return on it, if it's expensive, okay, but if it gives you a return, whether that's quantified in profit or potential building of the soil sure. and moving forward. But yeah, I think that's something to look at too. When talking yeah. at the well, field level, you know. Yeah, at the field farm level, you know, we, we want to see a six to one return. So if, if something costs a, a dollar, I want $6 back. In fact, if you're going to register a fertilizer product like ours in China, for instance, in other places, you have to show <clears throat> by research a six to one return. So it's, it's really evidence-based, you know, and it's, uh, you know, something that you can rely on. I mean, okay. So, so, so an input as an investment. So it, the return, so they, they, farmers though around here, they see everything you add 
a lot of farmers in the world as a, an expense. Mm-hmm. You know, well, this is costing me this much per acre. They're thinking pesticide kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. It's an expense. You know, whereas in reality, it's 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 a it's it's a good investment. It's a better investment than like what you're going to get out of the crop. I mean, it's a six to one return. <clears throat> so that's what we're looking for. You know, a reliable something that's uh, you know makes economic sense. Because otherwise, it does, you know, what good is it? You know, for at least what we're doing. You know, in in our world. <clears throat> our world is, is specialty crops in general you know cannabis is another specialty crop mm-hmm. you know like like mint or <clears throat> you know apples whatever you know so i i prefer to make it an organic specialty crop so uh we have to find something that's that we can use that pays back because then I'm, 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 you know, you go out of business and you have to go to town and get a job. No farmer wants to have to go to town and get a job. Yeah. Plus, Oregon so grows some of the careful. finest. Oregon grows some of the finest mint over in Bend in that area, and then also here in the Willamette Valley. That, uh, for example, once it's concentrated uh, and shipped to users like end users like Wrigley Gum. That barrel of oil, uh, mint oil, can only only one barrel on a truck. So you pay the the page for a, a truck and a driver for one barrel. That's how volatile it is. And it has to be placarded with all kinds of hazardous hazmat uh, placards all around the truck. But the cost of that one barrel would boggle most people's minds it's like almost three hundred thousand dollars it's that concentrated so i know there's a company here you know i'm talking about yeah 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 matter of fact they're farming mint all around me here it's a very destructive crop the way they farm it right you know the industrial model right yeah i mean it's it's that's a big thing around here it smells good yeah yeah in harvest time Right. But, you know, they were asking me about regulating hemp. How should we regulate cannabis? You know, what kind of standards, you know, they debate this, you know, what about testing? And I said, look, it's, it's herb. It's, it's herbs, you know. Like, what kind of standards do they have on mint? You know, or some of these other crops. I mean, why should it be different? I mean, we've already gone down that road, you know. Right. Herbs, there's already regulations behind it, Okay. It's another herb because they didn't see my my way of thinking on that. But that's about it, you know. So it's it's a well. I work with people growing hemp, see, and they really lost a lot of money. Oh God, um, they got beat up. You know, so yeah, uh, it turns uh, into so if hemp ever becomes a you know a regular kind of crop, it's going to be the same thing. You know, everything's got to pay. You know, it's got to work or, you, or you, you're going to go to town and get a job, you know, and sell your farm to some of these guys around here, you know, that end up renting or buying everybody else's farms that went belly up. Yep. You know, so. The CBD was getting, a big uh, uh, destroyer of uh, revenue about five years. They talked these farmers in, they're going to make 35000 an acre. In what world are you living 
And so yeah, they made big they investments. Oh yeah, they went for it. You know, and uh, well, it was a you know, and, and, and we learned a lot. I, I was able to to actually for the first time since the Faust, you know, gave up growing hemp, whatever that was, and, yeah. and to grow a field of hemp. So I did get to go out and be in big hemp field and use our products to grow hemp and do trials and, and, and all that. So, so that's, to me, it was a breakthrough, you know, okay, I get to, finally, I get to do this, you know, on a mass mm -hmm. scale, right? you know, and, and I'm not losing any money on it. Right. I ain't losing any money. <laughs> Somebody is, you know, but, but I'm gaining, you know, uh, uh, knowledge behind it. See, right. So to me, it's, it's sad though. I mean, I hate to see people have all that crop and, you know, not what, what are we going to do with it? You know, that, that's that's the sad scenario. Which I've warned everybody against it. Yeah, processing. Processing was the bottleneck, right? That was the problem. That was, was getting the bottleneck. The, was getting it processed there in yeah, Oregon. Because, pe yeah, yeah, people promised, you know, they set up pro processing and then they fell through, you know, or they went belly up before they could do the processing. And so farmers were counting on that and then it didn't happen. That was oh, the one Ponzi the scheme. Ponzi scheme. You know. And the yeah. seed, the dollar seed. Oh, yeah. Scam. And those people made millions. Of actually, course. literally. Of course. Uh, and so. Yeah. Uh, Fertilizer yeah, companies don't go out of business. You know that better than I do. They're well, all they do. All the little ones. All the little, oh, yeah. little, right, right. little ones got ate up by the big ones. Yeah. I saw that happening in my life. Of course, I saw everything get eaten yeah. up by the big guys in my life. Yeah. I saw all the small farms and family farms and yeah. small business and small fertilizer dealers and everything, you know, get eaten up by the big boys. So well it's happened yeah. it happened in the cannabis scene here. Uh, yeah. I don't in the good old, in the good old days it was the criminals like me. You grew your good weed, old criminal. You got into the East Coast. Where you made your money, sure. stay out of Texas, stay out of Florida, unless you want to go to prison forever, get it into New York, yeah. make your money, and then come back and distribute it and plant it for next season. But then, no, we now we got the guys with the spreadsheets and their laptops and, you know, hedge funds out of Canada and gold leaf and the sure. banks. Sure. Yeah. sure. It's a gold rush. Yes, yeah, sure is. Rush. Yeah, everything's a series of gold rush. Right, <laughs> it's part of it. Used to be fun running a load from California to New York. You know, you travel at night. Uh, oh, always me. have. You know, that's that's <laughs> that's a little too much. Yeah, it's a little too much. It's all right. I got taken down. So. Yeah, I, 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 I got a, I got a, I, I had to go to way to school as the expression goes. So, yeah, no, that's uh, something I would never do. I was, I was too scared about going to jail. Didn't like the idea. You know? Yeah, I wasn't, wasn't scared worth. enough. Yeah. I can make money other ways. I can make yeah. money legal ways. People would offer me like fifty thousand bucks just to fly a single engine airplane across. Oh the yeah, oh yeah, Canada. But I wouldn't. No, nope. I ain't. Are you kidding? Yeah. You know, but 
course, if you really needed the money. But no, I was never yeah, yeah. tempted. Yeah. Wait a few more. Even as, as easy as it would have been, you know, would have been very easy. But then, you know, that's that's greed, and greed can, you know, come back and bite you. Greed will always get caught. Greedy yep. always gets caught. That's right. There's no free lunch in this world. Period. And all the hopes and promises, you know. Man, yeah. You don't want to, you know, you want to uh, avoid uh, the dogs. Well, well you, you can verify, you can verify this. In the first big loads, forget Mexico for a minute, because that's where it originally came across in the 60s. Mostly from the guys from Laguna Beach, you know, the Brotherhood guys that were bouncing some uh, loads over. But by the time it got to Colombia which a lot of it wasn't even grown in Colombia. I, I used to get these bales and they were stamped machine uh, products from Argentina. Now, does somebody really think that they were moving loads out of Colombia all the way to Argentina to get them packed? But anyway, the worst weed that God ever put on this planet was Colombia. And yet today I will hear people, oh, you don't know, we got the good stuff. No, you didn't. There was no good stuff. It was just bulk. You sold the Colombian so you could go get Oaxacan or Thai sticks. You didn't smoke it. You know, you just moved it. And uh, I mean, just the amount of that, that was the end of the 70s, the disco era, before we got all whacked. I did, but, you know, the society got whacked out of cocaine. And that pretty much killed the Colombian deal because a lot more money is you as a private can vouch for this, a lot more money in a plain load of coke than a plain load of weed. So if you were a smuggler, guess what? You were going to smuggle, you know, cocaine, Peruvian rock or Bolivian flake, or was it the other way around? I don't remember which one was a rock, one was a flake. And they would argue about which is better, you know, like you're addicted. What, what does it matter which one's better? You know, I mean, we're not talking wine here. We're talking cocaine. So. Uh, it's uh, the same thing where they take a harmless plant, you know, that's been used for centuries and right. still is i mean the coca plant it's kind of benign you know you chew it yep. you make tea out of it. you know it's certainly not like very spectacular because i've done it in ecuador but right. you know it's fine i mean it has a lot of benefits it's really really a good thing you know it's, i love the tea the tea is just nice you know but yep. then you take that a nice herbal kind of a thing like coffee or tea you know right. coca you know and then you turn it into like you know, concentrate. You had to concentrate it. Yeah, right, right, right. Smuggle because you, you need one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's where the problem comes in. I mean, it's just like a difference between smoking opium and heroin. You know, so illegality. Causes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Illegality is what's behind that. <laughs> yes. Now, if it was just the natural plants, you know, hey, you know, the world's not going to end, right? I mean, it was never an issue in the first place. See, Big but that's world the whole problem. Yeah. If you can grow your own weed in your own like yeah. bush, yeah, you know, I mean, it kind of takes all the crime out of it. I mean, you know, you and now, a, and now in Oregon, right we there. can. You buy it down on the on the you know the street. You buy it at the uh, in in Ecuador in the Andes. You buy it in like a farmer's market kind of a uh, place. 
people that don't specialize. Okay. In just I got to ask you, since you, you know more about, obviously, you know a lot more about Ecuador than I do. So do I want to live in uh, uh, Cuenca or Manta on the coast? Well, I, I don't think Manta on the coast, but it's just, you know, I mean, they're, they're two really different kind of places. Right. You know, yeah, right, 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 different. right, right, right. You, you know, one's hot and humid. I mean, people, it's just like Hawaii. Uh, yeah. Most of the people that lived in the big island of Hawaii were living at 1,600 to 2,000 feet elevation. See, so, you know, it's a lot more comfortable, you know, and the same with Ecuador. So the coast is going to be, you know, hot and humid. And, okay. Uh, and, and then you, you, but you get to Cuenca, see, it's 8,600 feet. Right. right. And then there's places in between. So it's, it's really all about, because you're right on the equator. Right. So. Right. You know, so then it depends on elevation. See, so. What I like about Cuenca people, is that. Uh, that's pretty high elevation. Cuenca is high elevation, but it's not as high as Quito. Right. And there's people that live as high, live and farm as high as 14,000 feet and higher. Right. <laughs> you know, I would definitely you know, uh, faint getting off the plane. They have a warning sign in, in Quito too about that, you know, about now you're entering an area where it's close to 10,000 feet elevation. Take it easy. You know, they got like uh, medical staff at mm -hmm. the airport. Right. For that. So, yeah. So you got to think about those issues. But uh, yeah, I've been to, to the coastal areas, but you know, I, you didn't like it, huh? Yeah. It, it's it's the humidity. It's, it's well, it's a different culture too. I mean, this is sure. a, a more dangerous place in, in some ways. Right. Uh, you know, the, the Cuenca, you have a lot of expats, different. and not just from yeah, America, Cuenca, yeah, Canadian lots. and Australian. Yeah, it's yeah, like expat central. Yeah. And it's just comfortable spring all the time kind of a place, you know, where you, just, like you have the wet season and the dry season. It's like Hawaii. And, uh, but it's money cool. CD still uh, pay eight and a half percent. You know, it's not. Can you imagine that eight and a half percent on money CDs in Ecuador? Um, yeah, that's pretty good. Here, I'm lucky to get my checking account charges covered. Don't you guys pay interest? No, not at all. So you just use my money, you know? Well, yeah. Oh, good system. I'm talking about the oh, states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can have yeah. $500,000 in deposit and you get $25 a month to cover your checking account charges. But 10 of that is a uh, paper statement fee and the other five is a... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, sorry. Oh, Jesus. No, no, it's... Yeah, don't get me started. So it's hey, well, the, the, yeah. system, the system is rigged, man. It's just insanely rigged. Yeah, you know? that's uh, why that's why a lot of people do go to places like Ecuador or Panama yeah. because yeah. the cost of living down there is a fraction of what it is here. Right, and then then you get lots of benefits if you're over sixty five. It's really a different world. It's a different yeah. kind of culture. You know, and where you get free free transportation you get free 
tickets yeah. you get when you, so so they have a different respect for older people down there yeah. you can button the line supermarkets check out <laughs> things like that right you know they give right. you numbers at the bank and then a chair and you can sit and wait so that you don't have to wait in line <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it, it, in a way, it's a kinder, gentler place, you know, at yeah. a certain level. You know? And, uh, yeah. I love Oregon, but, you know, the, I don't know. Um, you're kind of, you're kind of pigeonholed on your money. Uh, what am I going to invest in? A, a weed farm with people I don't like? I mean, I don't want to be involved in that. You know, you're always looking over it. No, it's not worth it. It's just, uh, you know, if I wanted to be a fertilizer you, distributor, I'd go work for concentrates or something. You know? uh, because, I mean, you, you can go to South America and places like Ecuador and lots of places, and for what you can buy a cheap house in Oregon, you can oh. get a villa. Yes. <laughs> you can get like a hacienda and shit, you know. And it's what's incredible. really neat is that on the, at the federal level, GMOs are banned. There's a really thriving, uh, well, you know this, uh, a thriving organic agricultural sector. So uh, if you are into eating a plant-based diet, I mean, a dollar buys you 20 bananas in uh, Cuenca oh, yeah. at the uh, Mercado. I mean, a nickel a banana. Yeah, you, know, you can I, probably get them cheap that. <laughs> Right, grow right, your own right, right. Yeah, exactly. Right, you grow the good ones, the red ones from India. You know, the ones that are I really always had a stock right. of bananas in my garage. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, so you can live down there on a thousand bucks a month. Yeah, one person. Yeah, and rent rent a pretty nice place. And you don't need a car. No, you don't. I mean, it's a it, little inconvenient, but yeah, or actually, so it can be more convenient. Because yeah. people would, would recommend a driver to us. They'd say, right. oh, you should yeah. get this guy. Here's his phone number. Here, I'll call. Yeah. And so they all know like a driver they like, you know. Yeah. And so one of them was, was a guy named Giovanni. I remember him. But he was, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This guy. You, you, he, he's a guy to hire. So you hire a guy all day to drive for like 50 bucks or, you know, yeah. give him a tip. They only want like 30 you know, a cab ride's only three dollars, right? You know, anywhere in the city, and they like it. They like expats because they're not competing for jobs. They arrive there with money to spend. They're retired, so they're not trying to hustle, and uh, it feeds the economy for the working uh, class folks of uh, Ecuador to cater to the expats, not cater, but, you know, to, to fulfill their, their wants and needs and desires. Oh, yeah. uh, it's a, it's a win-win uh, situation for everybody. As long as you don't well, go down there and play the ugly American and I don't want to learn well, your language they, and, you know, that's well, what happens. That's what happens. Yeah. yeah. It, it turns off the locals, the expatriates, yeah. see the expatriates, a lot of them are like walking ATM machines right. for, uh, for, right. for certain people yeah. you know so they're preyed on so you, you got to realize you that uh there are people you know preying on you down there i mean so yeah. it's it's like uh yeah so it's it's not like uh necessarily a walk in the park you know because 
you know, it's a, it's a different world where everybody has like uh, bars on their windows and grating and they have like fences with razor wire or embedded glass. They have uh, alarms, uh, they buzz you in, you know, and they have dogs, which drive me fucking crazy. The, the barking of dogs all night. And then a truck rumbles by and all these car alarms go off. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just... It's just crazy shit, you know. So, so they got like two. We stayed in a place and it had like a, a stone wall about 10, 15 feet tall. It had 22,000 volt wires running around the top. <laughs> a lot of people had high, high voltage, you know, wires around there. So, yeah. So, so this is this. So, you go to the bank and you go to the ATM machine at the bank, just like they have here. U.S. dollars, of course. Ecuador uses right. U.S. dollars. That's right. You go to the ATM, and as soon as you walk up to the ATM and get your card out, a guy comes out of the bank with with, with a pump shotgun, twelve gauge, and a bandolier, and, and he and he stands there guard while you get your twenty dollars. Oh, geez. Out of the ATM. Yeah. That sounds worse than Detroit. I don't know if I want to go there. <laughs> well, no, but it's, it's just like anything, you know, it's a, yeah, Detroit, I'd be, I mean, I, I you know, I, I spent a lot of time as a kid in the younger days in Philadelphia and New York. So, I mean, you, you had to be somewhat streetwise. Don't, uh, don't count your money at the ATM when you're done. <laughs> you know, so you had to be a little bit aware because it's a different right. kind of jungle. Oh, yeah. 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 So yeah. when you're in third world countries, yeah, you're, you're, you're sort of prey, you know, and they have schools down there where you, you can send your kid to school or college, or you can send them to pickpocket school. So in Ecuador, they have like pickpocket school. I'm going to send my kid to pickpocket school. And they have all kinds of ways of ripping you off. I mean, <laughs> they go to school for it. All kinds of ways. Yeah. They use a powder of the Datura plant and they'll blow that into your face or put it in your drink. And you become a zombie. You, yes. You've heard about that one? The breath yes. of Satan. Wow. Yeah. 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 So they use that on you in a lot of different ways. I mean, um, they'll even, you know, entice women will entice stupid uh, gringos. Uh, and then they get close, get close and they have it like in their nostril, you know, behind a piece of cotton and they, they huff it in your face. And then, then you become almost a zombie and they'll, they'll, they, they say, okay, let's go to the ATM machine. You know, okay, take out all the money you can take out. Okay, let's go to your apartment. We're going to unload all your furniture. You're going to help us load it in the truck. Okay, you do that. Or if it's a girl, you'd say, take off all your clothes. We're going to like do some things and they'll comply. Wow. And then wow. you forget. Up drug, yeah, it's fucking yeah. So this is the shit they do. Okay, areas <laughs> you can make it from a, a genus of plants that has a lot of different species, and at worldwide, it's on Europe, North America, South America, Asia, uh, Australia has plants that have scopolamine. It's it's not a yeah. Good... It's devil's trumpet. Are we called angels' trumpet? They call it down there. It's common. Yeah. You see it all over. The it's in the. You know, the it's called the angels' the trumpet. trumpet. Uh, has different levels. Most of it has different levels of scopolamine. Yeah, and so it's the Dr. same Foster, people. That make 
Coke that make that. The people that produce Coke. Are you saying I should be better off to move to Brookings, Oregon than Ecuador? <laughs> well, I mean, that depends who you are. You know, if you're like yeah. roughneck, martial artist, nah, 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 really nah, nah, nah. streetwise, you know, then I'd nah. say go for it. I'm a 70-year-old diabetic. I mean, let's get real here. Well, I think think it's through a little more. Yeah, okay. Or or have a bodyguard. Nah, I don't want to do that. Trust them. You know, I don't know. But see, I used to be kind of a roughneck, so I could walk around by myself all these places, you know. Sure. um, And uh, no, but I wouldn't do it now because uh, unless I can, you know, I'm not going to be able to (laughs) handle myself in that scenario anymore yeah but it's just being confident looking confident when you when you're in third world countries i've been in cairo i've been in kingston i've been in you name it you know all over and you just have to in mexico you just have to walk confident you know kingston is cool i love confidence not like the fleeing animal yeah. Right. There, there's always a saying there's like, you know, there's a there's an easier fight on the next block, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, go, that's the key. Take the easier fight. <laughs> I don't know. I never had a problem in Kingston. I was spending quite a lot. A lot quite no, a lot I never of- had any problem. That's a, yeah, that's I never a- had any problem in Philadelphia either. <laughs> I grew up there. So good place you know, to just knowing. <laughs> well, you two, okay. You, you two guys grew up in the East Coast. Explain to me. Now that it's going to be, they've got it legal or it's going to be, can you imagine growing in New Jersey with Santino and Anthony, cousin Anthony, and uh, oh, no. Salvatore? No, think, oh, yeah. This ought to be, this, what could go wrong here, right? No, I'm telling you, some of those guys down in the Pine Barrens are like Jedi masters when it comes to farming. Like, oh, that just, I believe. Yeah. I'm, talking, I'm talking about the, 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 the old life. families. The, oh, the, the legal uh, the big five, the, mob- the yeah, mafia, yeah. the five families. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were always they always were. They yeah. were the guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember when they sold pot that was ground up with seeds and everything in a little oh, yeah. envelope. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a ten dollar bag. That yeah. was the mafia. That was the Italian mafia doing that. So they've <laughs> they've been they've in been the doing 70s, that. in the seventies in New York City. A matchbook, you know, the old uh, wood matches, that size of a box with that crap you're talking about just ground up was 10 bucks. Yeah. A lid. That's yeah, a lid. yeah, yeah, right. That was a lid. Yeah, right. So, uh, uh, but yeah, the mafia was behind a lot of that. And, and sure, if they legalize it in New Jersey, you know, regulate it, yeah, they'll be able to like dominate it again because yeah. uh, they specialize in that. You know, they'll control the, uh, you know the regulators. You know they'll bribe everybody and threaten oh, yeah. people. And, you know eh, you they gotta kick up the. They've got the money. What could go wrong here? Right. Somebody, you know, the windows could be, you get all smashed. You know, yeah, we we can prevent that. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, you, I, shake I know down. my grandfather was a Sicilian in Philadelphia. So. Oh God, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, get, I, I get it now. Yeah. He wasn't a very nice person either. No. <clears throat> well, somebody asked me, what would it take 
So yeah, so that's what happens actually is gonna happen, you see, back there yeah. with, with, with legalization. Oh yeah. You know, they're gonna jump in, it'll be politicians, they're they're always in bed together. It's always like Oh sure. You know. Somebody asked me if several. But I'll sell them stuff. I'll sell them my product if they want Absolutely. to buy it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Ship it COD. Because I won't know. I never know anyway. I never know who, who, who yeah. buys it. I never know who goes to distributors. You know, hey, if it goes to Tony and the boys down at the, you know, eh, it's okay. Uh, Paisanos, you know. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you have tracking for the truck and it gets to the warehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they'll, they'll hijack the truck. Can you imagine going to Mississippi? That's why I'm out here. Weed. That's why I'm out here in the woods because I hate all that. <laughs> imagine being in Mississippi in July when it's 100 degrees and it's 92 percent humidity, and you're trying to run a cannabis farm. Uh, can you imagine? I mean, I'd go back to alcohol. Before I do that, before I live in Mississippi, oh, that's, yeah, it's a good Jesus. place. That's a good place for cannabis. Mississippi oh, yeah. red dirt. Yep. That's, that's, the, no, that's the weather though. The weather, the humidity. Oh God, that's great or, for ma- cannabis. Ma- imagine growing in Mobile out of Alabama. Sign me up. Yeah, I want. I want. I'll sign a five-year contract. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, no hot, stressy places. That's where you want to grow it, right? You know, like Morocco and Sahara, you know, North Africa, like you know, even the big island of Hawaii. You get such different terpene expressions in the tropics with the same genetics. Having grown it myself now, I've even grown some strains in the U.S. now and in Zimbabwe. And it's super trippy to see how much mm. different they do in, in the, the different latitude. Sure. Oh yeah. Mor- morphologically, like how were they? Were they uh, very similar morphologically? No, they tended to be more bushy uh, than they were mm. at higher latitudes. They tended to be, you know, more stout. Even though the total number of hours, you know, for the, from when we planted them was the same, um, which I felt was a little bit strange. I, I'm assuming it's something to do with the angle of the sun being different, you know. Oh that's yeah, a, that's a big part. Obviously, that and soil, and you know, the whole rest of it. It was a former tobacco facility that was then grazed for cattle for in the last, you know, however long since the early '90s, um, and then you know, returned back into uh, planted fields with irrigation and uh, microbial inoculation, uh, IMO inoculation. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, that, that's the best. That's the food belt of the world, and also the cannabis belt is like fifteen degrees north and south latitude. That belt, that band, you know, that goes like through, like Hawaii. It'll go through Acapulco. It goes through Jamaica. It goes through mm-hmm. North Africa. Goes through Middle East, India. Is that particular band, you know, and and that's where you get the good coffee too. You in in there. And uh, here you get tremendous growth. You get like incredible yield, and uh, in this location, but you don't you, you don't get the terpenes. You don't get the stuff that you're going to get in that tropical zone, the subtropical zone. That's the thing. Unless you use lights in the right way, 
And I think that's possible. It is possible. Because in the, the, that's the thing in these in these areas in the southern areas like that, um, you're getting, you know, there's less, you know, angle. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, on the equator, there's only six minutes. Like in Ecuador, there's only six minutes difference of light between summer and winter. So, so you get sun is still high in the sky at the at the uh, ripening phase. See, so you're still getting all that UV, you know, and here, uh, you know, the earth is turning away from the sun. So, you know, September and October, you're getting less, it's less intensity. So at that end period, see, that's, that's where, uh, you know, the THC and the terpenes form. Because I get, you know, the the difference between stuff uh, like uh, grown in, in, in Kona, and that'd be coffee too, uh, in, in Jamaica uh, for potency. You know, you, you, you can't buy around here unless it's that infused stuff, you know, that they inf- see. So, so that's, uh, that's what I was trying to do this year. Um, yeah, I do special order coffee from Kona. I do have to get the special order from Conan because you're right. The Conan yeah. coffee at the grocery store is cut. It's not the real thing. Oh yeah. It's not yeah. even 10%. It's, it's, it's the best stuff. I'm agreeing. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to mention a little bit. Getting from Africa too. Pretty good African coffee out there. It's just about as good as Jamaican Blue Mountain or Kona, but it's way cheaper. It's like uh, from Kenya. Which is where the stuff came from to begin with. So, uh, but yeah, so so that whole flavor thing is what I'm into. I mean, in coffee and and uh, you know smokables, uh, and so that that whole trick, uh, you know, is how to get that, how to get that kind of quality. And uh, there you go go to that that particular belt of the world <laughs> and that's where you'll find it well i've got to get going but i wanted to thank you very much dr foss for answering my questions about neem in particular uh pangamia as well and uh i'm going to keep marching forward i grow plants that aren't affected by mites and mildew and um that's my deal is I don't want to be dealing with uh, herbivores and and uh, fungal problems, and uh, concentrate on making the best soil that I can, the potting best potting soil that I can. And to that end, I put a lot of effort into it and have, and and uh, I think that the uh, results speak for themselves. You know that uh, may not be the best, but it's sure a lot better than I can buy in a dispensary or from some of these jamokes with their uh, super strains and silliness, you know, um, mono flavors. My God, what happened if you had a, a, like four or five terpenes, would that like destroy the whole, you know, dynamic or something or, you know, I don't know. I'm a little jaded by the whole thing, I guess. Oh, it's getting late. So yeah, I'm gonna hang up. I gotta get going. Appreciate you. I, I wanted to throw up your website here. To do tomorrow. 
Here we go. I want to make sure we uh, threw your website up here, Dr. Faust. Um, here's uh, BioAg's website if you guys are interested in any of the stuff that he was talking about. Um, they have the uh, uh, the Full Power, which is a great product, good for aquaponics as well. It's got all the different other stuff, the SuperSil, the silica he was talking about, the Humix, uh, all the different awesome stuff. A lot of it's OMRI certified as well, like most of it is. Oh, I'm having some kind of mouse issue here, but uh, let me just do it this way. There we go. Um, yeah, it looks like most of most of it's OMRI certified as well, so definitely check that out. Great stuff. All of it's fish safe, as far as I'm aware. Uh, all the stuff I've ever tested from their company has been uh, no issues with the fish. Yeah, first cabin all the way, for sure. I've been using it for almost, I guess, what, 13 or something years, so uh, nothing but high praise. And... Uh, for the fish, that's where actually Ecuador, our first sales, it's used in Ecuador in shrimp, a commercial shrimp and fish aquaculture. Mm -hmm. They fertilize the water with it. Interesting side there. <laughs> but, uh, and if you want to learn more about that, there's a lot more about Dr. Faust on the website as well, and a whole bunch of awesome resources as well for their different products and things. Um, but we've been using them quite a long time in aquaponics and uh, they're great products and he's super knowledgeable. Also check out the previous episodes that Dr. Faust has been on. Uh, he has two other episodes where he's dropped a ton of other knowledge as well. Uh, as, as in addition to the, uh, the conference that you're on over on the, uh, the second annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference, we do appreciate you uh, uh, educating us there as well. So thanks a lot for your time. And thank you, Coot, for coming on as well. I really appreciate you taking the time to come talk with us and talking to, to Dr. Faust tonight. Uh, thank you very much for giving us your time this evening. You're welcome. And again, I really uh, I never miss an opportunity to speak with uh, Dr. Faust. So it was, I, I used to call him you. on the phone and talk, bend his ear for, till he had to take another call or something. So we did that much a lot respect. in the early years. And uh, I think Chad wants to say something too. Uh, uh, I, I was just I was just hand modeling here. I was I was being the yeah. hand model here <laughs> yeah. for everybody. Yeah, but there no, it I, is. yeah, I don't want to don't want to interrupt you, uh, gentlemen, because you know I, I I have learned a lot from you, and I'm going to continue to learn a lot from you. So thank you, and Steve as well. You know, thank you guys for uh, letting me pop in with you. So thank you. Thanks for nice meeting you. you and best wishes on your uh, projects. So, all right, gentlemen, have a good one. Thanks a lot. Have a nice one. Bye bye. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Faust, uh, any other ways that people can find you as well? Uh, aside from uh, I hope not. <laughs> I hope they can't find me. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah, you can. Uh, Go to our website, and uh, we're gonna or or my uh, uh, my channel, my YouTube channel. Too, I'm putting more and more stuff together on that. I'll make sure we, we throw that up as well. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be doing some things here in my new property, but but not 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 yet, not for a while. Okay, cool. This is my, my sabbatical, my time for contemplation. <clears throat> so, aloha, all. Thanks a lot, Dr. Faust. Really appreciate your time. You bet. Bye.
Take it easy. And uh, thank you, Chad. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, uh, what, a little bit about yourself and what you do and how people can find out more about your awesome educational content. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, um, you know, I kind of tried to focus a little bit on the home grower. Um, I want to see everybody have the ability to get started and to get growing. And I love these types of conversations because this is the next level. This is where you go once you've gotten started. So I want to get everybody started. And I do a lot of shows on Future Cannabis Project, the FCPO2 channel. Um, do the, you know, the Perfectly Imperfect Grow Show, which is uh, the first and third Saturdays. And that really focuses on the home grower. We kind of do tent tours. You know, it's one of those things. Um, you, you see a lot of different options of what people are doing. And I always say, if you're a smart person, you can see what's smart about the next guy or girl. So yeah, we just, we just go in, we talk shop and we learn a little bit of stuff from everybody. Um, but I also, uh, will be getting my own YouTube page going very soon as well. It's actually going already. I was uploading a video tonight, but, uh, that's going to be more of a shorter format and just focusing again on the initial growing stages because everybody needs to grow this plant and there's a lot of people who could benefit from it that aren't growing yet so let's get them growing uh thank you for letting me be long-winded there but yeah i appreciate that yeah and then uh what's your instagram how can people find you Oh yeah. Yeah. You can actually find me. Um, I will update it very soon. Chadwestport.com. It's just kind of has a temporary page right now. Uh, been busy. Uh, that'll be updated soon. Chadwestport.com and then Instagram chad.westport. So I appreciate, you know, anybody following, asking questions, point me in good directions. Uh, I love the communications there and I've been watching chat and having, uh seeing good people in chat all night as well you know a lot of good community members here and you know helping regulate that's that's what we're here to do so yeah there we go i got my instagram page up there try to post some flyers for things i'm doing and some shots of my garden so that's cool stuff thank you thanks for coming on yeah and you guys uh, are i guess before we totally wrap it up i wanted to plug real quick uh, first off, I wanted to plug the website that Coot mentioned earlier on the research stuff. Um, this is medley.com. Uh, if you're wondering what that article app thing he was talking about is for scholar uh, and um, white papers, this is the app he was talking about. Um, so that's that's that. Um, and then, where is it here? Um, the conference, so the regenerative conference, uh, Josh from Dutch Blooms has got the regenerative conference going again this year, uh, coming up. He's got the tickets on sale now for uh, Humboldt uh, is January 28th through 30th. Uh, he's got Michigan 25th through 27th. Um, and then we have Maine the 26th through 28th and then Oklahoma, April 29th through May 1st. Um, so definitely check that out. It's definitely one of the if not the best educational uh, seminar that you can go to in person in terms of just every single person there knows everything about everything and all different types of like different specialties and just about anything you could ever imagine. Uh, and on Sunday, they have an incredible legendary seed swap. Just bring something to share and uh, you will be very glad that you came. Uh, so uh, definitely try to come out and, and make uh, one of those um, and um, 
I'll be speaking there, uh, full disclosure, but uh, we also have uh, Kevin Jodry, uh, Susan Wainwright Evans, Chris Trump, Eric Branstead, uh, myself, uh, Michael Box, Joshua Rutherford. Uh, I know uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham is going to be speaking there. Um, uh, mean Jeans from Mendocino is going to be at Humboldt. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at the latest flyer yet. I know he's added quite a few people since the last time I looked. So um, I have to look and see what the current uh, lineup is. I do apologize, Josh, uh, for not being more current on that, but uh, definitely check that out. If you haven't, I know he's giving away some awesome goodies too. Uh, if you're one of the early people and you show up, uh, uh, when you show up, he's got some extra goodies for you when you show up in terms of genetic preservation kits uh, and other things like that. And then also check out, we have the uh, aquaponic cannabis uh, class over apmjclass.com that Marty have. It's over, Marty and I have as well. Uh, it's over a week long of recorded uh, content and uh, we add more every single month. We have two live sessions every single month as well to answer your questions if you have a question about the course. Um, so definitely check that out. We cover every aspect start to finish uh, of how to uh, get started with an aquaponic cannabis facility, be it small or, or large scale. And then if you need nutrients, we do have nutrient kits available as well uh, over APMJ class, or I'm sorry, APMJNutes.com. Um, you can pick how many gallons your fish tank is. Uh, you can pick how many weeks of flowering time you want nutrients. Uh, and it'll give you packets that are pre-measured and predetermined to pour into your aquaponic system to account for what the fish waste does not provide for your plants. Um, and you can see here some, some side-by-sides with and without that supplementation. You know, fish waste only, certainly you'll get weed, but I think we all want that back row uh, versus the front one. So it gives you a, a, a good example of, you know, what some side-by-sides look with this nutrient formulation with versus without. So definitely check that out. And I uh, appreciate everyone's time tonight. Um, go check us out over at um, uh, Aquaponic, uh, I'm sorry, Potent Ponics <laughs> or uh, Growing With Fishes uh, on your favorite platform. Um, thank you everyone for supporting us this year. We have an awesome lineup now through the middle of January and we're still booking people. So uh, you guys are really gonna like the awesome lineup we have for the rest of the year. Yeah. Uh, and um, thanks everybody for supporting us. We had somebody, sent me their Spotify thing and listened to me for over 28,000 minutes this year. I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> um, so shout out to TJ. Uh, we're going to send you a t-shirt for, for listening to as much of us as probably as humanly possible this year. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll catch you guys all uh, next week. Uh, thanks for your support.